1: There has been an awakening. Have you felt it?
2: back, everybody, to the final pick-a-flick for 2015. I hope the Force has been with you over Christmas and you've had a lovely, restful break. My name's Tony Black. I'm your host, as ever, and this is the, effectively, end-of-year special for the show. And before we go into what we're covering, allow me to introduce my two guests today. Firstly, coming back for a second round, Laura Rogers. Hello, I would ask you, Laura, if you've had a nice Christmas, but actually, shall I do that? And then we'll we'll pretend we've had awesome Christmases. So, Laura, how was your Christmas?
3: It was really, really nice. Thank you very much. I played it cheap, stayed in Birmingham, just chilling, relaxed. So, yeah, it was lovely.
2: And uh, with us today in his first appearance on Pick a Flick, I'm delighted to introduce uh, Mr.
4: Sean Wilson. Hey, Tony. Pleasure to have you on, Sean. Thanks for having me. How was your Christmas? Best Christmas I've yet to sit through. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We're going through the time tunnel. Yeah, it was fantastic.
2: <laughs> today, we're covering a uh, little-known film that a lot of people probably haven't really heard of. Uh, it's something called Star Wars. Are you familiar with it? Can't say I
4: am. <sighs> Low-budget indie film, is it?
2: Yeah, I, th- I, th- I, think, <laughs> I think so, yeah. Yeah, today, we're going through all of the Star Wars films from beginning to, well, what is not quite the end, what is effectively the beginning again. So the brand-new... The Force Awakens, which we've all seen, and it's just a couple of days old, so we're all a bit buzzing from that experience, but we're not going to get there quite there just yet. We're going to first start off, unfortunately, (laughs) where it well, not quite where it all began, but where the story at least began. So let's, for the first time today, pick a flick. Star Wars Episode 1 The Phantom Menace is a 1999 American. Epic space opera film, written and directed by George Lucas, produced by Lucasfilm and distributed by Twentieth Century Fox. It is the fourth instalment in the Star Wars saga and stars Liam Neeson, Hugh McGregor, Natalie Portman, and Jake Lloyd, among others. The film is set thirty-two years before the original film and follows Jedi Knight Qui-Gon Jin and his apprentice Obi-Wan Kenobi as they protect Queen Amidala in hopes of securing a peaceful end to a large scale interplanetary trade dispute. And it sounds as thrilling as it it actually is. So here's a clip.
1: It's not disrespect, Master. It's the truth. From your point of view. The boy is dangerous. They all sense it. Why can't you? His fate is uncertain. He's not dangerous. The council will decide Anakin's future. That should be enough for you. Now get on board.
5: Sir, I don't want to be a problem.
1: You won't be, any. I'm not allowed to train you, so I want you to watch me and be mindful. Always remember, your focus determines your reality. Stay close to me, and you'll be safe,
5: Master Sir. I heard Yoda talking about midi chlorians. I've been wondering, what are midi chlorians?
1: midi are a microscopic life form that resides within all living cells.
5: They live inside me.
1: Inside your cells, yes. And we are symbionts with them.
5: Symbionts?
1: Life forms living together for mutual advantage. Without the midi life could not exist, and we would have no knowledge of the Force. They continually speak to us, telling us the will of the Force. When you learn to quiet your mind... You'll hear them speaking to you.
6: I don't
0: understand.
1: With time and training, Annie, you will. You will. Your majesty, it is our pleasure to continue to serve and protect you. I welcome your help. Senator
5: Palpatine fears that the Federation means to destroy me.
1: I assure you I will not allow that to happen. Wait a
5: Come on,
2: Arthur. Just to start off with, I've done a rewatch of this with my girlfriend in the last two, last month or so, last couple of months. And I, I insisted we start with The Phantom Menace, even though she begged me not to. And we've come through them, prequels up to the present. I've got to be honest, I don't think The Phantom Menace is quite as bad as people say it is.
3: OK, so for me, with The Phantom Menace, there's a little bit of context to how I view it, which is it was actually the first Star Wars film I ever saw.
2: Oh dear! I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I went, safe I safe. went,
3: I went to the cinema with my dad, and I just, I loved it at the time. I loved it, and it made me then want to watch the other, the sort of the later episodes, the older films, um, and and my love for Star Wars was born. But that said, I was probably twelve, and just, I just wanted to like Pod Race.
6: <laughs>
3: when I rewatched it later on, I think it's. It's pretty awful and i c and and I can't stand that child, but i can't I can't completely write it off because I did initially love it
4: how about you Sean yeah i actually I'm really glad to hear you say that, Laura, because it was the same with me. I saw it when I was twelve and mm-hmm. I remember the hype, um, the hype over Darth Maul, um, the makeup on him, um, the fact that he was set up to be a really great baddie, the pod race, the fact that Star Wars had come back after the remastered original trilogy had been out on video then. Yeah. And all that. And I remember being suckered in, and yeah, like you said, watching it years later, you just realise just how deficient it is in terms of thrills or suspense or yeah or
3: plot really (laughs) like exactly (laughs) yeah but yeah it was just there were moments of of just like sort of cinematic brilliance i think so the fight the big fight obviously like the the sort of the three lightsaber darth maul obi-wan hugon Jin. that's it's still epic i think i think it's really up there in one of the like great star wars scenes myself but in yeah it's 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 hard because uh, like just rewatching it, sort of, when you're older, you're not 12 and not in the hype. It's it's just not great, is it? <laughs>
4: it's, it's funny. I watched the lightsaber duel again yesterday. Just that scene on its own, and that scene is brilliant. It's yeah. really well done. It's so well choreographed. It's so exciting. John Williams' score is amazing, and you just think, what a waste of a great villain, and the fact that there is one great scene tacked on to the end <laughs> of a, quite a dreary. Mm. Thing. It's a funny one
2: because it gets It's obviously got a lot of you know hate. Although originally I saw I saw a YouTube video of reactions when people walked out of the cinema in 1999, and almost everyone was saying it was amazing, it was brilliant, like the general public. And I think it's before they stopped and thought about it.
3: <laughs> I think they just sort of threw a lot of, ama- sort of amazing imagery, and as as Sean sort of said, like the hype as well. And and it was only when you actually got to digest it, and for a lot of us, that was a few years later that you were sort of like, oh, hold on a minute, <laughs>
6: mm, I've yes. been
3: bli- I've been blindsided here. <laughs>
4: like, I did um, a blog a blog post uh, the a few days ago, a few weeks ago, about why the prequel trilogy perhaps isn't as bad as people remember it, because I think there are high points in all three of the prequel films, yeah, including really? the Phantom Menace it's quite hard when you sit down and analyse it to remember exactly what they are. (laughs) But I think they are there. I don't think Phantom Menace is a complete write-off, but yeah, Mm. it's just dull.
2: I, I I think, yeah, I agree with you, Sean, in that I think one of the things I've noticed with it is, it is dull. It is badly written. It's largely badly performed. It's wooden as hell. It's it's borderline racist at times, like, like yeah. with the with the Trade Federation aliens there. Oh, the Jedi and all that stuff. It's, like, yeah. it's, like, it's blatantly like Japanese. It's terrible. It's got you know, and Jake Lloyd, obviously, actually oh. ruined his life this part because he was subsequently bullied like no end, and he just became a basically a crazy person and stopped acting after that. There's a lot of interesting stuff about what happened to Jake Lloyd afterwards, in that he now hates that Star Wars so much. Really? Oh yeah, it, it, it really messed him up. It really messed him up. It's, you know, there's a lot of bad things about it and it's massively misjudged. But I think what has stood the test of time with it though, well, a, it's got Liam Neeson and even though he's he's like, you know, got wooden dialogue, he's still got gravitas and he still... Oh,
6: definitely.
2: He still manages to make that part interesting to a degree. But I think the biggest thing that stood out to me when I rewatched it was the effects are better than anything in Attack of the Clones or... Yes. Revenge of the Sith. Yeah. Because there's there's more practical effects. There's there's less CGI. You know, he use, he does use CGI, obviously, yeah. for the pod race, but it works really well. And a lot of it, they actually went out there and did a lot more of the model work again, you know, and stuff. Where And, you know, the actual costumes. But he just lets that go for the next two prequels, and it's all green screen, and it shows. And I think that's what stood out with Phantom Menace. It's just a little bit more... It's a little bit more like the originals, but it just lacks the original sense of excitement or fun or... You know, skill.
4: Yeah, there's there's a bit of physicality to the locations, isn't there? The locations mm. are beautiful, like Naboo and and the various other like well obviously Tatooine as well. The yeah, fact that you've got the desert landscapes. Yeah, that's, I think I think that's a fair point. And it has,
2: as people say, it's got the. Probably the two standout sequences that everyone always says, Oh Phantom Menace is shit, but it's got the it's got the lightsaber battle, as you've mentioned, and it's got the pod race. And the pod race is great, I think. The pod race still is really, really good.
3: It's a landmark moment. I I really would put it up there in sort of one of the great scenes of the whole saga. Mm. So obviously Force Awakens comes out and, and Star Wars has been like hot topic in this house um <laughs> <laughs> after four days. My partner, he loves he loves Star Wars, like lives and breathes it, loves it. And I think something he said, and it kind of hit the nail on the head for me about Phantom Menace, was it's quite pointless actually. You don't really, in the grand context of the films, you, you actually begin to realise you don't need it. Like they they take you all the way back to like sort of Anakin's beginnings, and actually it doesn't. It, you they probably could have done that in a later movie just with a glimpse. Yeah. All, do you know what I mean? Like you could really actually write off a lot of the key plot. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and actually, it's Liam Neeson's character, um, along with Darth Maul, who are who are kind of the interesting ones, I think, and where where the where the action really sits. And and the whole sort of glimpse into Vader as a
4: boy is, is kind of pointless. Yeah. There's not um, incident in it, is there? Not nothing really happens. No.
3: Like, he gets taken from his mum. But they, that's one one brief scene that really could have been hinted at in a later film. And I think, it, and we'll, I know we'll go on to The Force Awakens, but actually The Force Awakens with that kind of, they have that, that conflicted character, that guy, that bad character. And you see it all play out there in, in sort of in one movie, you kind of get, you get the story, the whole backstory, and they haven't had to sort of dedicate a, a prequel to him being 10 years old and... Just yeah it's it, I just I was like, yeah you're right actually it's quite pointless well, <laughs> like... it,
2: well, well it's it's also the fact that it's it's the whole prequels are an exercise in filling gaps and it's you know it's very much a case of all these little things were hinted at in the original trilogy things like the Clone Wars which we'll get to in a bit but you know and like Anakin how he became you know Darth Vader but instead of actually making it a story an exciting story, yeah. All these are is just getting, filling the gaps that everyone was, was wondering about. It's an it's a, a gap filling exercise. There's very little else that's really going on, and that's
3: but why. It's
4: like polyfiller. It's yeah. just it, it, <laughs> polyfiller. Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. And, and the truth is, maybe a bit controversial, but how interesting is a nine year old or ten year old? <laughs> They're exactly. not really like <laughs> to be the sort of the main protagonist and the plot. He's just not. He's He's, li- he's very very sort of two dimensional. It, it it makes it makes it very much a kids film and not a great kids film actually. But it's yeah. It's just it was an odd choice. I think the sort of the bas- the, the sort of the character conflict begins a bit later on, and I feel like they kind of took us back too early. Mm. And all we did was lose Cubon Jin.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Which, which was like, you know, when it's the same thing as when he took Obi wan out in A New Hope, you know. He, he, he yeah. Goes, well, he tries to have that same effect, but it doesn't work in the same way, you know. You just think you really shouldn't have got rid of Liam Neeson. You should have had yeah. him in it for the three yeah. films.
4: Three. <laughs> I always thought it was interesting that Liam Neeson, the really accomplished actor that he is, actually expressed his distaste at being in the film, the fact that he was so bored Yeah, <laughs> at appearing in it.
2: You can see it, though, can't you? You can see it as he's talking about midichlorians and trade disputes and everything like that. and He's, <laughs> he's like, not stimulated,
4: is he? <laughs> <No>.
2: <laughs> a couple, before we move on, a couple of um, little uh, questions, though, in terms of casting. Do you know which famous Hollywood actress beyond Natalie Portman, is in this?
3: Yes, I do. Go it on, I curse them for introducing her to the world. Go on. Kieran
4: Kieran I mean. Knightley. Kira <laughs> oh, okay. Knightley. Is she one of the, the handmaidens yeah. in it? So, yeah. yeah. Oh,
3: yeah. <laughs> it's the, 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 the decoy.
2: They cast her because she was apparently remarkably similar in facial features to Natalie Portman. I wouldn't quite go that far. They look a bit alike. Yeah, but, I don't um... think they look that similar. Too, no, honestly. no, not really. Yeah. And who, who dubbed Darth Maul because Ray Park
4: wasn't, Quite, he didn't uh, have the voice. That was the le- legendary Pete Serafinowicz, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. <laughs> Brian Butterfield himself. <laughs> yeah. I always remember the
2: trailer, which I like more than the film, where you hear Darth Maul go, At last we will have revenge from the Jedi. Yeah, that's really good, you know, and you hear like Pete Serafinowicz and you can tell it to him.
6: Uh, yeah.
2: And it makes that film, you know, wipe them out, all of them. It makes it sound a lot more fun than it is. And then you watch it yeah. and go, Oh, is that it? <laughs> you know. Yeah,
6: yeah. Who
2: the hell wouldn't would not figure out that Palpatine and Darth Sidious are the same person? I, I I mean it's so obvious all the way through this. You know, I mean even Yoda for for one, right? How does he not twig this? He's supposed to be like really clever and old and ancient, but everyone misses it. Yeah, it's obvious. It
4: is. It's just like what. What on earth? Yeah, yes. yeah. Well, There's that and there's also, this confused the heck out of me and it still confuses me even now. The whole thing about, there's two padmaids, but one of them is the Queen, one of them is the Handmaid and maybe I'm just being really, really thick but that always threw me for a loop completely. Yeah. I didn't get that.
2: <laughs> no, I know, it, it was a bit odd, wasn't it? Because you never quite knew which, because the whole suggestion is that, that Amadala who we think is the queen, isn't really the queen. She's just, I don't know. (laughs) I don't think George Lucas knows. No,
3: I don't either.
2: (laughs) So yeah, Phantom Menace is, I would probably say, and I did a poll actually on Twitter uh, as to what the best and worst, what the best films of of the prequels were and the original trilogy. And after we finish the prequels, I'll say what people thought, but I would—I personally would say it's the second best prequel. Um, But that's damning with faint praise, really myself, but uh, okay, let's move on and uh, move forward to our next film, which is Star Wars Episode 2, Attack of the Clones which is a 2002 American epic space opera, they like epic epic space yeah, operas on just- Wikipedia film directed by George Lucas and written by Lucas and Jonathan Hales it is the second installment of the Star Wars prequel trilogy, of course and it also does star Hayden Christensen, oh dear The film is set ten years after the events of The Phantom Menace when the galaxy is on the brink of civil war and under the leadership of a renegade Jedi named Count Dooku thousands of planetary systems threaten to secede from the Galactic Republic and when an assassination attempt is made on Senator Padme Amidala Jedi apprentice Anakin Skywalker is assigned to protect her while his mentor Obi-Wan is assigned to investigate the assassination attempt. Let's have a look at, at this. Traitor.
7: Oh no, my friend. This is a mistake, a terrible mistake. They have gone too far. This is madness. I thought you were the leader here, Dooku. This had nothing to do with me, I assure you. I will petition immediately to have you set free. Well, I hope it doesn't take too long. I have work to do. May I ask why a Jedi Knight is all the way out here on Geonosis? I've been tracking a bounty hunter named Django Fett. Do you know him? There are no bounty hunters here that I am aware of. The Geonosians don't trust them. Well, who can blame them that he is here, I can assure you. It's a great pity that our paths have never crossed before, Obi-Wan. Qui-Gon always spoke very highly of you. I wish she were still alive. I could use his help right now. Bygone Jin would never join you. Don't be so sure, my young Jedi. You forget that he was once my apprentice, just as you were once his. He knew all about the corruption in the Senate, but he would never have gone along with it if he had learned the truth as I have. The truth? The truth. What if I told you that the Republic was now under the control of the Dark Lord of the Sith? No, that's not possible. The Jedi would be aware of it. The dark side of the Force has clouded their vision, my friend. Hundreds of senators are now under the influence of a Sith Lord called Darth Sidious. I don't believe you. The Viceroy of the Trade Federation was once in league with this Darth Sidious. He was betrayed ten years ago by the Dark Lord. He came to me for help. He told me everything. You must join me, Obi-Wan. And together, we will destroy the Sith.
5: I will never join you, Dooku.
2: Okay, I think this is the low point of Star Wars by a significant country mile. Personally, and I didn't at first. for For quite some years, I thought that Attack of the Clones was slightly better than the Phantom Menace. But it, for me, it really isn't. I think it's the worst one by a long way.
3: I completely agree with you. I, I'm, not, I'm actually trying not to like just laugh even thinking of it. Like it's just <laughs> it's, there's absolutely no there's just no characters in it. That's the there's just mm. you've just got these wooden two dimensional line delivering droids or well clones maybe they must maybe (laughs) like I was waiting for the big plot reveal where they were all bloody clones because there was just there's just nothing in it there's no substance in it at all Mm. and Hayden Christensen is just appalling appalling Mm. I think terrible terrible Casting choice.
2: It, it does have one saving grace, though. Actually, thinking about it, and this is something I can't quite believe we missed talking about in the Phantom Menace. But it has only one tiny scene of Jar Jar Binks. Hallelujah. <laughs> 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 That's its one saving grace because he's a fucking idiot. <laughs> no yeah. other way to put it.
3: He's pretty irritating. But that said. Comparatively, compared to like the other actors, and I'm doing inverted comments that I just (laughs) realised no one can see on screen, like he's he's probably one of the stronger.
4: At least you don't forget him.
2: No,
3: exactly. At least he's a bit different.
4: Where do you stand on this one, Sean? Uh, Yeah, I completely agree with you guys. I think it's it's filmmaking in a vacuum, isn't it? Uh, George Lucas's CGI fetish love, however you want to describe it, really took over in this one. And it just, it has that really horrible sort of plasticated look to it. Everything's very shiny. Nothing looks, you can, you're looking at it, you're constantly being snapped out of the world of the film, aren't you? Because there is so many, there are so many special effects in it. That I cannot engage with what's going on, and yeah, the, the line was the famous line. Uh, I hate to say, it's
6: course
4: everywhere. That's the line that obviously everyone <laughs> says <saying. laughs> When
3: that's your memorable line from a movie, you just you have to stop yeah. and have a moment and think, exactly. I've messed up here.
4: I remember being about fourteen or fifteen, having this on DVD and watching it quite a lot, and you know having a degree of fondness for it as. Far as undemanding fourteen-year-old mindsets go, yeah. And then again, you watch it when you're a bit older, you're like, ugh, that's really <laughs> not good. Yeah,
2: I think ugh is the best word for it. Really, I think you know, I think the reason that I liked it more when I was younger was probably because of the lightsaber battle at the end with Christopher Lee and Yoda, which, I, to be fair, I still think he's cool. Even though it's awfully sort of CGI'd and, and it doesn't have any of the heart of the other lightsaber battles, I do like the idea of, yeah. of Christopher Lee, arguably like yeah. the world's greatest actor or one of the world's greatest actors, fighting a little green mega dwarf. <laughs>
4: <laughs> like, it, it <laughs> I, yeah
2: yeah. yeah. <laughs> Although I have to say, and I've, I've said this for many years, Yoda's basically a con artist, isn't he? Because he, he hobbles about on the stick all the time, going Yoda! and then suddenly. <laughs> He he gets faced with a lightsaber and he can suddenly flip about out like, like, you know, Jackie Chan. And I'm like, hang on a minute, yeah. Where does this come from? And then <laughs> then he's got the nerve after the fight to hobble off again on his stick.
4: <laughs> I'm like, mate, just taking the piss here. That smacked to me of like a sort of last minute. Rewrite on George Lucas's part. George Lucas thought, okay, so clearly we've got this character that people worldwide are familiar with. How can I sort of upend it a little bit and maybe shake it up? I know, let's turn him into a, a massive—not massive, but that's a relative term—but awesome Jedi warrior and I a like, ninja Jedi. Yeah, yeah.
2: I, th- I think the other problem as well, or the main problem with it, is that it's supposed to be a love story, and it is about as romantic and passionate as a piece of plywood. Oh, I mean the lack of chemistry between Hayden Christensen and Natalie Portman is painful. You know, they they might have been able to sell the bad dialogue if they had any inch of genuine chemistry,
4: but there's nothing. I think it, it's it's tempting to land it at the feet of the actors, but given what they were reacting to, there were clearly so so much green screen and That's George, true. yeah, George Lucas famously said that at one point, that if an actor can't cry, I will CGI the teardrop onto their cheek. I mean, <laughs> that's the sort of film that they're dealing with, you know. And I yeah. just think that you know it's it's partly their fault, but I think it's mostly George Lucas.
3: And I think as well, like when I when I rewatched this relatively recently, I was it, I was really shocked at how much there is. Loads of talking in it, and yeah. the, but it's all very it's quite political, and it's all about sort of these. It's all to get these plot points and there isn't any real scope for this romantic relationship anyway. So really, I mean, they are both awful in it, I think. I mean, I don't think Hayden Christensen's a good actor particularly anyway, but but Natalie Portman, you know, she's supposedly alright elsewhere. And I just don't think they had anything to really work with, let alone each other. Even I even remember when I was younger watching it actually, and I was probably more susceptible to get caught up in the romance side of it, but there was just nothing to really get caught up in. CGI meadow. <laughs> like rolling around at the beginning, aren't they? Like... Yeah. Well,
2: it, it's, it's bizarre, though, because the, when you look at the actors who actually did audition for the, for the role, yeah. there are some far better names, like people like Ryan Philippe and Colin Hanks. And even DiCaprio met with him, met with Lucas briefly, but he, I don't think it went any further than that. But, I mean, Ryan Philippe or Colin Hanks are better actors. You know, I mean, they would have done a better job with even the bad. I mean, yeah, I think you're right, Sean, in that the script is, is the main problem. But Christensen's a really bad actor anyway. And he's subsequently proven that, really, in that he's never done anything of note
4: since, as far as I'm aware. See, I found it much more depressing if an actor like Colin Hanks or Ryan Philippe well, or DiCaprio had been dragged down with the
2: film. <laughs> yeah, maybe,
4: yeah. And that works. Yeah. <laughs> Perhaps, yeah.
2: I feel sorry for you, McGregor. Pretty much throughout the whole of these three films, because he's he is without question a really good actor. He, he tries to, like, you know, bring back the ghost of Alec Guinness with his performance. You know, he really tries to it, almost mimic that that accent and everything like that. And he does a good enough job as best he can. But he gets a crap plot throughout this as well. You know, he's just, he's just off finding out, you know, about the clones and things. It's so dull. It's so boring. It's dull. And you're thinking, I don't care. I don't care about all this. It's, you know, if you think about like, if you do, and we're going to do this all the way through, I think, but if you look at The Force Awakens, and obviously you look at the original trilogy, the story was not about why all these things happened. You know, it wasn't about why the Republic existed or why the Empire existed. They just did. Then you got on with the story and you got on with the adventure. This is all about explaining why clones are in bodies that are st- then become Stormtroopers. It gives a shit? Yeah, yeah. Give me some Star
6: Wars. Yeah,
4: yeah. <laughs> what you just picked up on there is a problem that I have with a lot of current movies, actually. Not just with these films, but the tendency to over-explain and to contextualise yeah. everything. And I completely agree with you that the original trilogy worked because, bam, you're right in there. You know who the good guys are. You know who the bad guys are. Just get on with it and like you say with The Force Awakens which obviously we'll get onto yeah or breaks on similar lines like that
2: well there's, there's a crucial thing with that and the, the, I read an article about it afterwards in that explaining the in the, in Force Awakens explaining and we're going to assume you've seen it if you're listening to this so spoilers but the resistance and the fo- and the First Order you don't understand any of the political backstory of that it's there but it's not actually spelled out in the film and when it's in the novelizations and things and mm-hmm. certain people have picked up on this and they've put it on Wikipedia and all this stuff and you know it's really interesting the political backstory but abram's knows that we don't care exactly. you know as long as the story is there and the story is in that film then you, if you, if you're interested enough you'll go and find out that out that or you'll ask the questions George Lucas would have spent half the film explaining the political context of how the Resistance came to be. And you would have been sitting there going, well, when's the story going to start? Yeah. And that's how I feel about Attack of the Clones. When's the story going to start? Because this is all the stuff that people talk about for five minutes in a good story. But apparently, in terms of the clones as well, incidentally, in fact, when he was writing Empire, he'd originally decided that Lando Calrissian was a clone and came from a planet of clones, which caused the Clone Wars. Which, and then he came up later with the idea of the army of clones shock troopers who were used by the Republic as an army. But um, I don't know which is better
4: or worse. <laughs> <laughs> Lesser of two evils, isn't it, really? Well, well,
2: yeah, exactly. Perhaps as well, the only good thing is um, the, the, the score... Again, from John Williams. I know you're a big fan of the soundtracks, Sean, aren't you?
4: John Williams, I think, is the hero of these films in terms of tying it all together and making Mm. us care about what's going on, even when you have something as fairly wretched as Attack of the Clones. John Williams is able to make you care about Mm. these scenarios in which you would otherwise not be invested. And the Across the Stars love thing that he writes for Anakin and Padme is beautiful. Um, I think it's one of the highlight pieces of all six films, despite the fact that both of you said that Anakin and Padme have no chemistry whatsoever. <laughs> it makes you care about what's happening, to an extent. Yeah, but I don't think even John Williams can completely save <laughs> the films, to be honest.
2: He tries, though. I think you're absolutely right. He does try. And that, Across the Stars, is a really beautiful theme. And like like um, Fat- Jewel of the Fates in the Phantom Menace was a brilliant theme for you know the lightsaber battles and things, You know he does manage to pull out these and he does it again in the next one, and it, he does save it to an extent, but nothing can really save the mess and the boring dullness of it. Yeah. But thankfully, that's, that's as bad as it gets
6: <laughs> so far.
2: Um, yeah. So uh, let's move on to the next one, which is Star Wars Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith, which is a 2005 American epic space opera and uh, stars exactly the same people this time around, and this is set three years after the onset of the Clone Wars, in which the Jedi Knights are spread out across the galaxy, leading a massive clone army in the war against the Separatists, led by Count Dooku. The Jedi Council dispatches Jedi Master Obi-Wan to eliminate the notorious General Grievous, leader of the Separatist army. Uh, Meanwhile, Anakin Skywalker, uh, separated from his former master, grows closer to Emperor Palpatine, or Senator Palpatine, or... Was well, he President Palpatine? God knows. The Chancellor, that's it. Chancellor Palpatine <laughs> of the Galactic Republic. And unknown to the public, although clearly obvious to everybody else, who is a Sith Lord. <laughs> um, <laughs> and their, their deepening friendship threatens the Jedi, and eventually Anakin yields to the dark side. Let's have a clip. You're going to need me on this one, Master.
5: Oh, I agree. However, it may turn out just to be a wild panther chase. Master... I've disappointed you. I haven't been very appreciative of your training. I've been arrogant. And I apologize. I've just been so frustrated with the Council. You are strong and wise, Anakin, and
7: I am very proud of you. I have trained you since you were a small boy. I have taught you everything I know. And you have become a far greater Jedi than I could ever hope to be. But be patient, Anakin. It will not be long before the Council makes you a Jedi Master.
2: Obi-Wan, may the Force be with you. Goodbye, old friend. May the
0: Force be with you.
2: So yeah, this is it now, the end, this is the, really, this is the story that we've all been waiting for, and I, I think, I don't think anybody would have been that unhappy if we just got this one prequel film.
3: I completely, I completely, like, what I was saying about Phantom Menace being essentially quite pointless, really, if they'd just sort of tagged an extra 20 minutes, mate, or some, some amount of time and insight into little Anakin... Really, you could have just come with this film.
4: Yeah. It's obviously the best out of the three. I think that Mm -hmm. that's... It's much of a muchness. Um, (laughs) I I think it's still got the problems that um, Attack of the Clones and Phantom Menace had in that you're looking at something and when visually something looks so fake, I I find it hard to actually become physically and emotionally invested in what's going on. Yeah. Uh, and, and especially with the lightsaber battles when, you know, now they're not they're not just fighting with lightsabers. They're jumping 10 foot in the air. They're falling off things and just it almost becomes too much. But shout out to Ian McDermott as whoever he is, Palpatine. Shout out to Palpatine who no one else seems to rumble. Brilliant performance. <laughs> Amazing performance. Yeah,
2: it is. And he, what, he manages to actually make a character who is badly written really quite sinister and menacing. And it's... Yeah it's great that he came back and did that well given the the, you know what he what he was left to work with so no he was he was always good I think this one I mean it is a it's a massive barrage of CGI and you know Mm -hmm. effects and you know green screen and it's you know it, it, it's too much of that. But what it does at least do is tell the story that we were all here for to find out how he becomes Vader. It does at least have a lot more actual wars in the stars going on than the last two <laughs> films. Which you know because there was I know that's one thing I noticed about Attack of the Clones. There is none. There's nothing yeah. like that at all, all the way a really through. Good point. Yeah, yeah there's nothing. I was sitting there thinking, there's absolutely, there's only one space-bound chase, which I think is when Obi Wan is being chased by some missiles. In this, and there's nothing else. And I'm thinking, you know, at least with this, there's battles going on, and there's all that stuff. And you know, the the final Anakin Obi Wan confrontation is probably as epic as he could have done it. Really, in terms of you know being. A massive like fifteen minute lightsaber battle on the side of a volcano. I don't think you can get any more epic yeah. than that. It still, however, lacks the true heart and soul of what Star Wars is, and it is still filling gaps together and just assembling pieces. And a lot of the the script is still wooden. It's like you said, Sean. It's as, it's a much of a muchness. It's it's the same kind of thing. It's just a little bit more. There's a bit more point to it.
4: I just think that the way that George Lucas manages to balls up the correct the creation of what is possibly the best character in the franchise obviously Darth Vader you yeah know, you think it's it's going well you think oh okay so he's horribly mutilated you know he's rescued by Palpatine yeah. you see the mask go on and then he does the oh, oh no he's
3: about to say that and just and it kind of sums up I think the whole of the, 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 the all of the prequels really It's this, <laughs> this hope and you're with it and you, you're like okay you've got me now you've got me now and this is the the big moment and the helmet comes down and it's all quite dramatic. And then that, and it's just undone. (laughs) It just unravels in front of you and you think, oh, you gave way to such terrible cliche.
4: and One bad decision just undercuts everything. It just ruins it.
6: (laughs) Completely.
2: Also, and this is the other thing I've long thought about, why exactly does Padme die again? Because she seems to just give up. She's had her babies, yeah, but then she just goes oh, uh, you know, tell him, oh, uh, uh, Luke, Leia, Dino. It's like, well, you're not dead. There's nothing wrong with you. You've just had some babies. Well, you've ju- in fact, you've just had children. Surely that's a reason to fight. You've just found out that the, the father of your children is a maniac Sith Lord. Surely this is a reason to stay alive and look after them. But no, dead. It's like, and we're supposed to believe, and they, I think somebody says, doesn't she, oh, she just, she just she just gave up or, or something like she just, (laughs) couldn't. fuck
3: off diagnosis.
2: Yeah. Died, died of a broken heart. I'll piss off. If she was any kind of like strong queen of an entire nation and supposed to be quite this, you know, this strong willed woman, she wouldn't just give up and let both of her children who are at risk from a burgeoning empire that have just wiped out all of the defenders in the galaxy. And just, just oh, fuck them, I'm just going to die. I'm so happy.
3: I know, I mean, you can say what you want about Vader, but he do, he doesn't give up. I mean, he's like a, a one-armed half-man corpse thing yeah. at the end, you know, like dragging himself out of the lava pit, or whatever it
6: is.
2: There's a, There was a brilliant um, thing I saw, a meme I saw online the other day, which was um, somebody had, had put together pictures of the clips where of, of the final battle and where he's crawling out, set to dialogue from Monty Python and the Holy Grail. So it's things like, come on, you pansy! It's brilliant. (laughs) Just a flesh wound. It's (laughs) amazing.
4: From my point of view, what I will say... In, in the defence of this one, there are some great scenes in Revenge of the Sith. I think the, the the cross-cutting, when you see the Jedi being wiped out and various you know, what Anakin gets up to as he goes to the dark side, although that is just rampantly unconvincing, no thanks to Hayden Christensen. Yeah. <laughs> there are good sequences along those lines, which I remember watching that in Sim and thinking, wow, that's quite chilling borderline inappropriate for the target audience
2: like where he kills the Jedi kids
4: yeah I I wasn't I don't know what you guys think about that I thought that was just a bit a bit tasteless
2: I think I think the 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 insinuation of 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 that is yeah a little bit like do we really need that in order to sell this you know this transformation but the thing is it doesn't have the conviction to actually properly it it doesn't have the conviction of itself I don't think sometimes this film you know if you're gonna really go down that route go down that route he tries to get away with both. Uh, it doesn't work either way. I, th- I I do agree. I think there are scenes. It's like I say, the final battle. I think he's well. He's very well done. I think it does have moments. It does have some interesting moments.
3: Yeah, I mean, and it does. It does do fan service. In fairness, as well, like we we get the we get the moments that we've all been waiting for. As you sort of said. It's again, it's tough. I remember seeing it at the cinema, and I, I quite liked it. I was I was okay with it. It wasn't, you know, the best thing I'd seen, but it was it was certainly not Attack of the Clones. I think now, obviously, we can view it with The Force Awakens, and the stories are, are relatively similar, actually, in the in the sort of the turning of these dark characters. And you think that kind of how it should have been done. You know, we can see how it should have been much clearer than ever before.
2: I think that the the general consensus of uh, the public, and when I say the public, the, about 13 voters um, on Twitter, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> is um, when asked what the best prequel was, Attack of the Clones got zero, <laughs> <laughs> Phantom Menace got 23% of the vote, and Revenge of the Sith got 77% of the vote, yeah. which I think is fair. is fair enough. I think that's, that's roughly about right. And I think that would be the general consensus. It's pretty when,
4: representative, I think. Yeah.
2: yeah. When asked on Twitter and Facebook what people thought as well, you know, best and worst, the worst was always clones. Pretty yeah. much. There was the odd Phantom Menace, but it, it's more clones, and nobody said Sith, so I think it's generally fair enough to be considered the best of a bad bunch, really. Yeah.
3: congratulations, everyone.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Overall, though, I think it's just a shame that that nobody... I mean, it's clear that, you know, when when we talk about the originals, and we will in a minute, Lucas wasn't the full creative driving force of those. You know, there were other people involved making certain decisions, like directorally or even in terms of script and i think it, he he was really the main creative force for all three of these films and i think it just kind of shows that it's not that he's not a great filmmaker because no great fil- nobody who was a bad filmmaker could have even conceived this world but i think it's he's got fundamental flaws i think that are very apparent in these prequels as to what he can and can't do
4: Yeah, I think, actually, I'm really glad you brought that up, because recently I watched George Lucas's first two films, American Graffiti and THX 1138, and I was Mm. stunned by both of them, and I just can't help but think I mean, obviously, when he made A New Hope, he had all these problems with the studio, they were like, you know, he had problems with the crew and everything, and he also took a step back, like you said, and he didn't direct either Empire Strikes Back or Return of the Jedi, but... Clearly, he came back with full force in it with the Phantom Menace and thought, right, I'm going to surround myself with Yes Men. I'm going to completely take control of all this. Mm. All the decisions are going to be mine. Big mistake. (laughs) Because that would probably explain why the films ended up like they did. I dare say if he'd had a mediating factor in it, they probably would have been a bit better.
2: And, and you know, the fact that he was so determined to tell these stories and use effects, you know, it was when uh, I think it was when Jurassic Park came out. He basically said, said to Spielberg, it's time, I can do this now because the effects are here for me to be able to realize what I want to realize. Yeah. But what he what he failed to do, and what do you think he completely forgot? He got so wrapped up in the CGI and the effects and the what he could do with that that he forgot about what he created at the very beginning to make such a compelling story and compelling characters and that it's it kind of I think that I think that got away from him. And I don't think he ever knew how to marry the two up. And then when you look at the Force Awakens, that is a beautiful example of how to. Well, I mean, it's not massively CGI anyway, in in the same way as these pre prequels. But it marries up both of those elements in a way that he was. You know, I wonder. I do wonder if he'd had all this CGI and all these you know things to play with in 1977, would New Hope have been anywhere near as good? It's an interesting question. But there you go. So we're done with the prequels. They're ancient history now. Let's go into the good stuff, uh, and we're going to move on and talk about. The original. Star Wars Episode IV, A New Hope, is a 1977 epic space opera written and directed by George Lucas. This is the first ever Star Wars, and it stars Mark Hamill, Harrison Ford, Carrie Fisher, and Alec Guinness, among others. And the plot, of course, focuses on the Rebel Alliance. This is about 30 years after Revenge of the Sith, led by Princess Leia, and its attempts to destroy the Galactic Empire space station, the Death Star, which disrupts the isolated life of farmhand Luke Skywalker, who, after teaming up with a pair of droids and handsome rogue Han Solo ends up on a mission with Obi-Wan Kenobi to try and save the galaxy. Here's a clip
1: No, my father didn't fight in the wars he was a navigator on a spice freighter
5: That's what your uncle told you He didn't hold with your father's ideals thought he should have stayed here and not gotten involved You fought in the Clone Wars? Yes Yes I was once a Jedi Knight, the same as your father. I wish I'd known him. He was the best star pilot in the galaxy. And a cunning warrior. I understand you've become quite a good pilot yourself. And he was a good friend. Which reminds me, I have something here for you. Your father wanted you to have this when you were old enough, but your uncle wouldn't allow it. He feared you might follow old Obi-Wan on some damn fool idealistic crusade like your father did. Sir, if you'll not be needing me, I'll close down for a while. Sure, go ahead. What is it? (whistles) Your father's lightsaber. This is the weapon of a Jedi knight. Not as clumsy or random as a blaster elegant weapon, for a more civilized
6: age.
5: For over a thousand generations, the Jedi Knights were the guardians of peace and justice in the Old Republic, before the dark times, before the Empire. How did my
1: father die?
5: A young Jedi named Darth Vader who was a pupil of mine until he turned to evil, helped the Empire hunt down and destroy the Jedi Knights. He betrayed and murdered your father. Now the Jedi are all but extinct. Vader was seduced by the dark side of the Force. The Force? The Force is what gives the Jedi his power. It's an energy field created by all living things. surrounds us, penetrates us, it binds the galaxy together. Now, oh, let's see if we can't figure out what you are, my little friend.
2: So, yeah, I mean, this is it. This is, if not the best one, it's the, the most, perhaps the most iconic Star Wars, I think, of them all, really. And I think it's the one that, even though... Like I say, it's not the, necessarily the one that's the standout prequel, uh, original trilogy. It's got the most iconic moments, I think, and visuals from the entire Star Wars saga.
4: To, to, to just contextualise it, I think clearly Star Wars came out in 1977 when Hollywood had gone through a lot of the countercultural, quite bleak, experimental cinema. And I think what George Lucas was able to do was to resurrect that very broadly entertaining, operatic sort of storytelling in which it's very clear uh, where you know who the good guys and who the bad guys are and you know where the lines are drawn mm. and that is very makes for very easy identification with the audience obviously all the characters all, all the stuff being written about how all the characters are archetypes you have Han Solo the space cowboy you have Alec Guinness as Obi-Wan the wise mentor yeah and i think in in, in those terms it's little wonder that it became such a sensation that it did because it is just great roller king Entertainment—you um, don't have to completely switch your brain off, but you know there is there is emotional depth to it. But mm. uh, it's it's just broadly accessible cinema, I think.
3: Completely, it's—I mean, it's it was it's fantasy reimagined, wasn't it? Well, especially at the time, it was, and I think it still is. And yet, it's so familiar in in its delivery. With the characters, with the story, with what it goes on to become, and you just and e- and even even the um, I read somewhere that the, the sort of the fight sequence, the dog fights and stuff, were based on footage from World War Two, like planes fighting in the air and things like that. So even even that it's sort of it's things that you've you've seen before, and yet it's in this whole new landscape and this whole new world. And yeah, I, I when I when I watched it, I completely completely fell in love with
6: it.
2: I think the reason it's it works is because it manages to take all those archetypes, as you've said, and all those kind of instantly likable characters and this kind of stories that you're familiar with, the fantasy, the fantasy elements and everything, but it manages to make it just a compelling fun adventure. And I think it's just got that sense of, of pure fun and joy about it at its heart Mm. that even though it's got, you know, the, 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 the evil villains and the, and the heroes, and it is very, as you say, very well drawn. It's very clear. There isn't, there isn't much in terms of shades of gray, that's what carries you through, I think. And it has sort of a purity to it and an innocence almost that I think makes it really accessible to anybody. Tied up then again with, you know, some incredible music like you'd never heard before mm. and a, a kind of blend of, of different elements to do with effects and, and visuals. And it just all comes together. It's just one of those rare pieces of film where everything just seems to come together together into sort of a magical combination.
4: It's so richly realised in terms of the the visual design of it, the creature design, the costumes, the Mm. music by John Williams, which resurrected a a tradition of Hollywood film music that at that point wasn't particularly trendy. Mm. It it wasn't a film that had a pop soundtrack on it or something, although obviously John Williams had got an Oscar for Jaws. Um, Mm. But yeah, in terms of throwing back to film being a spectacle, a big screen spectacle that you you had to go and watch on the largest screen possible. I I think it's fabulous. And I think it's it's interesting as well
2: because it's coming at a time when you didn't really see films like that made as well. I mean, the 70s was quite a, a sobering, you know, quite a kind of dark and serious decade, really, for yeah. American cinema. And it was, you know, it was after the glitzy pop of the 60s and a lot of seriously sort of damaging things had happened to the country in the last, like, 10 years. Yeah. And really, this is the birth of, A, par- partly the birth alongside Jaws, the birth of the modern blockbuster, and also probably the 80s in many respects. A lot of people have said that the, the 80s kind of starts with Star Wars in 1977, because it has that, <laughs> that brightness to it and that, that element of... Of sort of cinematic joy that I, that you didn't get. I mean, you know, the, the last thing that had that sort of probably colour and and space band glitz before this was probably Barbarella or something like that. It kind of resurrected science fiction as well in a way, didn't it?
4: Yeah, it's, I think it's um it's a weird thing. I mean, if you compare something like Star Wars to something like say. I don't know, five easy pieces with Jack Nicholson or mm. Clutes with Jane Fonda. I mean, it's completely yeah. apart, aren't they? They're in the same decade, but you wouldn't think no, so. No, exactly, yeah. Um, and, it, and I think it's fascinating to just sort of look at where Star Wars took cinema at the end of the decade.
3: I think something else as well that really stands out, especially in the with the context of the prequels, um, in that they were seriously lacking it, was this these characterizations? Yeah. Like I really cared I really cared about the characters, and I, I loved Han Solo. I still love Han Solo. Um. And I think him in particular, they kind of they're on the ride with you a little bit, and you know they know it's a bit ridiculous, and they know mm. that it's fun. But it's they completely completely sort of indulge themselves in it. The script is quicker. The chemistry is there between the three of them. You know, Luke, Leia, and Han um and it's it's when you you think of it and then you think of something like attack of the clones or even revenge of the sith and you, that was completely lacking these sort of these performances that really engaged the audience
4: mm. yeah and all the actors are, like you say the actors are engaged with their characters aren't they the actors are are in on they're in on the idea they know they know the score
6: yeah they're, exactly
4: they're
2: they've kind of all you know they are like they are aware that it is high fantasy, yeah. But they're, but they're also aware that there is a genuine heartfelt story in there and a genuine sort of heroic story of the the small band of heroes coming together to defeat the mighty the mighty evil. You know this Nazi esque sort of autocratic empire led by gen, generally or a very much a dark lord like a, like a like you'd see in you know high fantasy like there would normally be like a dark wizard or something. You know, Darth Vader is an epitome of a, like a dark well he's called the dark lord but that that he's very much what he is and i think as well people forget just how, how evil he is in this as well <laughs> you know he's he's really quite scary you know when he's just choking people with his hands and just how severe he is
4: well that the, the moment when he first turns up i mean that's ingrained on the memory on the memories of everyone when they watch this for the first yeah. time and the door opens and the steam is all coming out and then he walks out yeah i want those plans <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah. James Earl Jones impression. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. But it's you got like the black of the of his uniform versus the sort of white uh, of the corridor and the stormtrooper's armor, and I think everyone who watches that at the age of whatever it is six, seven, eight, whatever, remembers that. Um, it's so powerful. Again, it's you know it's the iconic images. There's
2: so many in this film. You know, there's so many that have stood the test of time, and it's one of those films, one of those rare films that has become iconic and has evolved beyond itself. You know, and and even if people, even people who don't like Star Wars, and unbelievably there are some, they they know what this is. They know what the, who Darth Vader is. They they would have seen but bits of it. They would know certain lines of dialogue. And I think it's very rare that you get a film, especially one that's now forty years old, that manages to do that. And I think that's the power of Star Wars. I mean, there's so many fascinating stories and influences and things about this as well. I mean, it's so worth. We don't have time to do it on this podcast, but it is so worth going and reading about Star Wars and the creation of Star Wars because it is a fascinating yeah. story and it's a fascinating amount of, of, of influences that came to Lucas and, and the things he was riffing on and, and, the, and the, the manner in which they filmed it. You know, It's incredibly interesting stuff. And, it, and it's, it, it, the influence of Star Wars is phenomenal, really. I mean, it, it's probably the film that has influenced the most culture, artistic culture, in the last half a century than anything else i think if you you look at the amount of things that that take a cue from star wars it's unbelievable
4: yeah was george lucas said an interesting thing that he said that um i mean i don't think anyone could have foreseen that star Wars becoming as big as it was let alone george lucas himself Mm, yeah (laughs) like you say it took on a life of its own and he clearly took a step back from directing directing the second and third films in the original trilogy but he there was an interview where he said that look it's got a life of its own beyond the films. If the children want to engage with the toys and mm-hmm. create their own mythology, then it, as far as I'm concerned, it's done its job. And I thought, well, you know, fair play to him. He's, he's being honest. Mm. <laughs> that's the power of it, I think.
2: Yeah, I think that, I think that's true. And it just leaves you with that sense. One of the key, One of the key things that I think it's really good at as well is that it feels like a complete story. You know, it does leave things open for the future, but you could just watch this one film and you would enjoy a story that's got a beginning, a middle and an end. I think that's another real strength of A New Hope. Yeah, agreed. Well, moving on, then, we go onto the what is widely considered by many people as Star Wars at its peak. This is episode five, The Empire Strikes Back, which is a 1980 epic American space opera. Uh, this time, however, directed by Irving Kirshner, who was George Lucas's mentor when he was studying film. And this is written by Lee Brackett and Lawrence Kasdan, with Lucas writing the story behind that. Now... Lee Brackett died before only after only like one draft or one or two drafts. She she'd written the Big Sleep, so she was a really accomplished writer who'd written some amazing films back in the you know the golden age of Hollywood. But she died before the film was realised. And then Lawrence Kasdan obviously was a celebrated screenwriter. So and he went on obviously to influence. ...a lot of the Star Wars saga. This film, again, stars uh, Mark Hamill, Harrison Ford, Carrie Fisher... ...and adds Billy Dee Williams as a main character... ...this time with the uh, other uh, supporting cast. And it's set three years after Star Wars... ...in which the Galactic Empire, uh, still under Darth Vader's leadership... ...as well as the Emperor Palpatine... ...are pursuing Luke and the rest of the Rebel Alliance across the galaxy. This time, Luke goes to the planet Dagobah... ...where he begins his training in the ways of the Jedi. Han and Leia have to outwit the Empire. So, here's a clip. And that Lord Vader was the last time they appeared in any of our scopes.
7: Considering the amount of damage we've sustained, they must have been destroyed. No, Captain. They're alive. I want every ship available to sweep the asteroid field until they are found. Lord Vader. Yes, Admiral, what is it? The Emperor commands you to make contact with him. Move the ship out of the asteroid field so that we can send a clear transmission. Yes, ma'am. What is thy bidding, my master? There is a great disturbance in the Force. I have felt it. We have a new enemy. Luke Skywalker. Yes, my master. He could destroy us. He's just a boy. Obi-Wan can no longer help him. The Force is strong with him. The son of Skywalker must not become a Jedi. If he could be turned... He would become a powerful ally. Yes. Yes. He would be a great asset. Can it be done? He will join
2: us or die, Master. This is this is the one I think most people agree is the best Star Wars film. Now, I was lucky enough to see this at the Secret Cinema this summer in London, which. Was a wonderful experience. The general gist of it is that you get to you get to be in the Star Wars universe. You get to be in like the cantinas and things like that, and it's there's music playing from the films, and then it leads you into telling the story of A New Hope before actually leading you into a big screen where you where you see Empire, but it's inside like a rebel base, and there are actual cosplayed actors playing out scenes around you as the films being oh, shown. So Brilliant. it's amazing. So when like Han and Leia kiss. There's there's a couple kissing dressed as Han and Leia. You the lightsaber battles actually are being played out in front of you with people in full costume. So when Luke and Vader are fighting, it's happening in front of you as well as on the screen. And the whole scene with the "I am your father," you know, and up on the they they actually had a rig above the screen where it was happening. And then you see Luke fall behind the screen. (laughs) (laughs) It was yeah, it was it was amazing, and it just made a film that I've seen many times even more. Delightful. What do you think? Do you guys think that this is the best one?
3: Yeah, I do. I think I actually, my person, I controversially, I really liked Return of the Jedi, which I know we'll come on to, but it is without a doubt the most iconic. I think it went quite dark this movie, mm. and I think that's it's. I mean, it's a seriously amazing film. So yeah, I, it probably it probably is objectively the best one of the lot. Yeah,
4: I think it's the best in it, dramatically speaking in terms of. Yeah, taking something from A New Hope, which was quite innocent and quite light and deepening it and darkening it and daring to suggest that our heroes wouldn't have a happy ending. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Which is quite a a very bold move. But I think that Irving Kirshner, the director, does a, a fabulous job in terms of just doing that not only with the performances in the script but also the visuals. Like when you have the um the, like you said, Tony, the, the lightsaber jewel between Luke and Vader which I watched again recently and it's b- beautifully directed with yeah. the lighting and the smoke yeah. and it and it feels dangerous. I'm sure yeah. both you would agree. It's there's a real menace to it. CD. I think it's the best one. I mean,
2: the, the, obviously the one people really remember is the one in Jedi, but I think this is the best the best battle they have. It's,
4: there's a desperation to it,
2: isn't yeah. there? Mm-hmm. There is. It just, this one, it, what, what I think I like about Empire so much is that it doesn't hold to the same, it's not the same film as A New Hope for a start. No. It's a very different film in that it, it it's very much a middle, it, it doesn't have that sense of maybe completion that A New Hope does, but it has much more of a, it deepens dramatically, like you said, Sean, everything that happens from that first film so in it, and, it, and it's not afraid to go a bit darker with things you know even uh, with things like you know putting hand solo in carbonite for a start taking out a major character and, and the reason they did that was because they weren't sure Harrison Ford was going to come back for for Jenna so <laughs> yeah. they threw
3: carbonite <laughs> yeah, yeah that's pretty good yeah. so yeah. <laughs>
2: They did that as a failsafe, just in case they couldn't get him back. But (laughs) being unafraid to actually have that happen at the end, and also obviously, you know, things like Luke getting his hand cut off, you know, which is quite dark in itself. You know, the visions he has, the vision of of Vader on Dagobah, where you know his face mass burns off, and it's it's just it's just quite creepy. That's terrifying. That that is. I remember watching that when I was younger.
4: That's messed up.
2: (laughs) It is messed up. Yeah, it's really dark and, and distressing in places, and it's just got I think that sense of depth that I think, like you said, Laura, Jedi was my favourite as a kid as well. But I think the older you get, the more you see Empire.
0: Selling a little? Or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global
7: commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did-we-just-hit-a-million-orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the Internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at Shopify.com
0: work. Shopify.com work. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring.
2: is a stronger film and also I think the most meaningful. Yeah. I think it what it what it does really is that it kind of just adds even more gravitas to the story and of course has the still probably the greatest surprise twist in cinema okay. or one of the greatest surprise twists or revelations I always think, can you imagine what it must have been like being in the cinema and, and seeing that moment where Vader reveals that he's his dad? I mean it wouldn't have been it wouldn't have been the same now because of the internet. But in a day in the yes. age before that, can you imagine what it must have been the gasp from people? <laughs> <laughs>
4: I, I was reading somewhere recently that that Mark Hamill only found out, like, about 10 minutes before making the scene or something. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, so the look of shock on his face is actually quite genuine. Yeah. <laughs> because originally it was going to be the line that Obi-Wan killed your father, wasn't it? And then they thought, no, that's boring. Like, yeah. That's really mess people up and actually have Darth Vader be his rather brilliant choice. Brilliant decision. Well, I think as well, what I like is the way
2: that when when there's a scene earlier where it, Vader's talking to the Emperor, and they're talking about Anakin almost in the third person. What I like is that you you can totally see the clues in that scene when they talk, but it's not overt, and it can mean one of two things. When he says, you know, Anakin Skywalker, the son of Anakin Skywalker, it doesn't feel weird that they're talking about the same person as Vader. Yeah.
6: Do you see
2: what I mean? It's like, it's a very much foreshadowing, but it's so well-written foreshadowing, because it, it doesn't give the game away, so it's still a shock. But at the same time, it's blatantly a big clue. <laughs> That Anakin is the, you know Vader are the same person, which obviously people didn't know at that point. I just, I just think it, that it got away with that and it did that is just amazing, really.
3: To have, I mean, it's such a fantastical film. It throws you into this other world and you're completely in there, and yet it's so grounded in this, these sort of these real issues, and ultimately it comes down to. Father, son fighting, and it's mm. so you're completely you're completely with these characters, and you're in this world, and it comes back to that familiarity, I think, which makes it so successful. It is a perfect example of a sequel, I think. It's really safe to say it, it. It really it took you it took you elsewhere when you didn't even re- as you as you said, Tony, like with a new hope, it was kind of it was quite conclusive in itself as a sort of standalone film, but this took you somewhere where you didn't even realise you'd be going.
6: Mm.
4: There's a degree of personal, there's a personal conflict to it, isn't there? Which, yeah, Yeah. that that you could, yeah, like you say, you could never have foreseen. It's like, oh, okay, that, that, that deepens and darkens the mythology in Mm -hmm. completely unexpected and multifaceted ways and makes it all the more engrossing to watch as a film.
2: And and leaves you at the end with that sense that this, this is a much bigger story than you first realised. Yeah. It leaves you fulfilled, but also really quite, enticed to see what happens next while also being very dark and very very gloom a downer ending really you know yeah, that they lose totally. i mean it's that whole thing of that they won at the end of a new hope but they really lose in this they get their arses kicked basically by the end oh, of totally. this and they just and about get away with it
3: and you wonder how they're going to come back as well because now there's a whole nother depth to it which is okay so luke so he might survive the fall but he is actually going to have to take on his father mm. and same with leah obviously and meanwhile han solo is well, technically frozen. Yeah. So it's just it's, it's it was a real risk to take your sort of your protagonists, your heroes, mm. and you really they really did threaten them, yeah. and it, that's what makes it so gripping.
2: And the script as well, the script is brilliant in places, like the whole, as I mentioned earlier with Lee Brackett, a lot of the interplay between Han and Leia is credited to her and Lawrence Kasdan, yes. and it's wonderful. You know, it zips along, it's it's funny, it's sparky, it's Completely. and then of course you've got the classic Harrison Ford ad lib. When she says "I love you" and he says "I know," which is oh. just one of the great, the possibly the greatest ad lib ever, really, <laughs> um, in the history of film, because uh, it's it's such a perfect thing for him to say.
3: Yeah, totally of the character yeah, and of them. Really,
2: totally. really is.
3: Again, it's if you then compare it to what you're given in the in the prequel movies yeah. with Padme or Amidala and Anakin, it's just it's incomparable. Like it's it's. To have this kind of chemistry and this kind of dynamic of a relationship and then with them it was just I mean he's talking about sand as um Sean <laughs> <Shaw> reminded us <laughs> like, yeah, sorry about
4: that
6: <laughs> so, yeah, but, I mean,
3: just how can you go, how can they have gone from this one extreme to another
2: well it's it's because of George Lucas you know George Lucas didn't yeah. write this dialogue at all you know he's not he's not a man of dialogue he's a man of, of visual spectacle and of of world-building, and he can do that brilliantly. You know, his backstories for Star Wars and, and the world he created is fabulous, but he can't
4: write convincing characters, really. He, he, can't, he can't do drama. He, he has, right,
2: he can't do drama. He understands archetypes and he understands narrative to an extent, but he, like you said, Sean, he doesn't understand drama. He doesn't understand conflict. And what this does is have that internal conflict, you know, the whole hand layer sparkiness. It wouldn't have been there if if Lucas had written this
4: script I also think that with that line as well I know I, I think that there's a lot of Harrison Ford comes out in that yeah. as well there's Harrison yeah. <laughs> he had this really sort of like nonchalant attitude towards being especially in a new hope and know what was the famous line he said you can type this shit George <laughs> say it yeah yeah it's a legendary <laughs> line now And I think the boundaries between Han Solo, the character, and Harrison Ford are sometimes wonderfully sort of muddy. And it's like, okay, where does the actor end and the character begin, which makes it all the more fun to watch, I think.
2: Definitely, definitely. Because, you know, and hes you can see how he went on to play people like, you know, Indiana Jones with that same sense of laconic. That whole wonderful thing, which I think some of the greatest heroes have, is that it's the reluctant hero. Han Solo is a classic reluctant hero to an extent, especially in A New Hope. He doesn't really want to be there. He just wants to get out of there. And the only reason he stays in Empire and Jedi is because of Leia. Otherwise he'd naff off <laughs> really and get on with it. <laughs> you know, yeah, that person that Harrison element definitely is there. It's just a brilliant, brilliantly put together piece of work really, and it, it stands out, I think, as the pinnacle for Star Wars, even if you can understand why it may not be the favourite of everybody at first. When they first watch Star Wars, because it doesn't do what you expect, whereas Jedi and and Ho- A New Hope are a bit more conventional, perhaps.
3: And, well, and they and they're more conclusive. Yeah, so that's exactly. The other thing as well, like this, this yeah. you have to sort of watch in the context that it is it's number two in a trilogy.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay, let's move on to the last of the original trilogy. Then, now we've reached Empire, and this is Star Wars Episode Six: Return of the Jedi, which was made in 1993, this time directed by Richard Marquand, who was a newcomer to the franchise and was written by Lawrence Kasdan and, in places, George Lucas from Lucas's story. And it's the third and final film of uh, so uh, at that point of Star Wars and um, brings all their main cast back together. This time, the evil Galactic Empire, under the direct influence of Emperor Palpatine, are building the Death Star again in order to crush the Rebel Alliance once and for all. The Rebel Alliance are preparing to launch a full attack on the Death Star. And meanwhile, uh, Luke and Leia and Lando must rescue Han Solo from the corpulent Jabba the Hutt. So here's a clip.
6: Luke, what's wrong?
1: Leia. Do you remember your mother? Your real mother?
7: Just a little bit. She died when I was very young. What do you remember? Just... Images, really. Feelings. Tell me. She was very beautiful, kind,
6: but sad. Why are you asking me this?
1: I have no memory of my mother. I never knew her.
6: Luke,
7: tell me, what's troubling you?
5: Vader is here, now, on this moon. How do you know? i felt his presence. He's come for me. He can feel when I'm near. That's why I have to go. As long as I stay, I'm endangering the group and our
1: mission here. I have to face him.
0: Why?
5: He's my father. more.
7: It won't be easy for you to hear it, but you must. If I don't make it back, you're the only hope for the Alliance. Luke, don't talk that way. You have a power I, I don't understand and could never have.
1: You're wrong, Leia. You have that power, too. In time, you'll learn to use it as I have. The force is strong in my family. My father
2: Yeah, as, as I've said before, Jedi was my favourite as a kid.
1: Mm,
6: too. Yeah,
2: and it's I still got a real fondness for Jedi. I think it's it's possibly, funnily enough, the Star Wars I would put on the most to watch, strangely, and just have it playing in the background because it, it's it's really good, but it does have that I think that scent that element of you can put it on in the background, you can just let it run. And you can kind of just dip in and out and enjoy it. I think it, it has that more than any of the original pr- uh, trilogy, personally.
4: I was so thrilled, Laura, when you said that this was your favourite. Because <laughs> I love it as well. I think I quite actively stumped for um, Return of the Jedi. I think that, mm. you know, it makes missteps. I mean, he had, George Lucas was compelled to put the Ewoks in there, okay. Um, <laughs> Empire defeated by a load of teddy bears. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> They're so <What>? cute! Yeah. <laughs> But the way that it resolves the Luke Vader storyline, I think, is absolutely fantastic, and yeah. it's really yeah. powerful and really emotional. And I think that redeems the rest of the film for whatever whatever other flaws it's got. It res- it brings the whole original trilogy to a perfect conclusion. I think.
2: Yeah, I think I agree. The big thing it does is it manages to sell Vader's transformation back to good, which which is something that I think would, was really hard to do, given that he does some horrible things and that he's a complete bastard when you first meet him. I think the fact that you believe him when he when he saves Luke from the emperor and then he says at the end you were right and I'm sorry. Yeah. The yeah. fact that you believe that and you don't think that it's a cheat or it's it's a cop out or that it's it's just you don't sit there going, "No, don't do this." You sit there going, "Oh shit. I care. You know, I'm really sad." That's so that's so difficult to
6: do.
3: Agree. Because uh, yeah, as you as you say, you haven't you haven't at this point when you watch it, if you, you haven't had the prequels, so there's been no Vader story. All we know of him is that he's this bad guy yeah. who was willing to kill his son actually in the, in the earlier film yeah but, um, yeah yeah but yeah it's, you're right you completely you do completely accept
6: it
2: and I, i'm surprised really if you if you think about it and you look at it from that perspective it, it shouldn't really work but it does mm-hmm. and i think it's because the fact that you've seen luke almost go to that point as well you know he's wearing black all through this and he's a lot more you know there's clearly been a period of time where he's gone off and he's become a little bit He got he gets a bit close to being his father gets a bit close to Anakin. When you when you look back to the prequels, and this is one thing that the prequels I think does quite well, when Anakin's becoming, and actually is, has been done in the new film with Kylo Ren, when Anakin's becoming reckless and becoming dark, he has a certain demeanour about him, and I think Luke has that, but he never, he, he's always in control of it. He never goes far enough to actually become dark, but there's a little sense that he could have done, I think, and I like that about this film.
4: It's got emotional depth to it. I think um, that... Yeah, like 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 both of you said. I remember. I think I watched this most when I was younger. I remember having it on VHS and blubbing my eyes out at the end of it. When, when you get the emotional catharsis of old Darth Vader went back to the from the dark side to the light side and redeemed himself. Mm. Um, I think is a is a really beautiful moment when when the mask is taken off at the end. And it's famously not David Prowse, who was rather annoyed. Yeah. <laughs>
6: yeah.
4: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's because <laughs> he had a strong West Country accent, though, wasn't it? And they didn't want,
2: <laughs> they didn't want <laughs> <laughs> it to come across. Ooh, yeah. yeah. As a, as Sorry, a mate. in the West Country,
4: George Lucas missed out there big time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. The fact
2: that you just see the shell of an old man, basically, inside this, what was this hulking, great, chrome, terrifying visage. And then it's just a frail, old, beaten up man who can't breathe properly and then you know he's just like like that or and he's just like a little hulk on the, a little thing on the floor you think jesus christ and and you you do you do care you've got to the point where you care and you you feel like it works and and i think that the whole film itself it's funny because it it balances those two elements on the one hand you've got all the the, the stuff with luke and the emperor and vader but then on the other hand you've got some quite fluffy stuff all the way through as well you know you've got all the stuff with the ewoks and all the the quite light-hearted stuff on on Endor, and things like Admiral Akbar going that's like crap and all that stuff. <laughs> and then, who I love, by the way, and I was so happy to see Akbar in the when new he turned film. Up in the, yeah. I was, I literally, I I turned to Steph, my girlfriend, and went, "It's Akbar!"
4: Like this, I got so
2: happy. Um, but yeah, you know, it it's got that, and then you've got obviously the the long protracted like twenty twenty-five minute first act at Jabba's Palace, and it's very you know, it's very it's got lots of s- songs in it, and it's very. It's it's just it's a funny film because it it balances those two surprisingly well,
6: really. Yeah, it
3: is fun. I think that's the thing that I really remember about it, and I, have, I haven't actually watched it for a little while now. But it is, although it's still got this sort of emotional undercurrent and this this sort of this well, like the dark side is still going on. But it's, mm. it is it's more fun, and it is a bit lighter than Empire which is why I think, you know, as you said, when you can just put it on in the background and, and just dip it in and out of it. Yeah, that's probably part of the reason why.
4: And you also have the, the know, obviously this is where Palpatine uh, steps out properly. That's yeah. brilliantly played by Ian at He goes, yeah. quite safe from your pitiful little band. It's good impression, yeah. Spitting out all these all these lines with such relish. <laughs> yeah. I, lo- I love it when
2: he says... Um, when Luke finally goes, no, sorry, mate. And he just goes, so be it.
4: <laughs> yeah. Jedi. He just spits the word Jedi. <laughs> brilliant. friend your friends is yours. Like that. It's, just like, yeah. it's, it's just like a horrible character and brilliantly acted, I
6: think.
2: Definitely. Although it was in um, Empire when he briefly appears. In the original cut, it wasn't um, Ian McDiarmid, was it? It was um, an actor called Clive Revel. Who he wasn't brought back for this film? They cast Ian McDiarmid, and now in the re, in the reissues, it's Ian McDiarmid who's who does that scene with Vader in Empire, um, okay. which is interesting. And also another th- interesting thing with Jedi is that uh, what do you do? You know who originally was approached to direct this one? Ooh, Cause it's, a, okay. it's an odd, it's an odd choice. Was it David Cronenberg? You're close. It was David Lynch. Blimey. Um, oh no! What Cronenberg actually was as well? It was he, he was he, he was after Lynch, yeah. But he went off oh. to make Videodrome instead. Regrets. Uh,
6: <laughs> <laughs> <But, laughs>
2: yeah, but what did what did David Lynch turn it down for? Goodness me! It
4: wasn't June,
2: was it? It, it was it was June, <laughs> oh, <no>. <laughs> <laughs> which which hope? I I mean I, I June is my favourite ever book, and and I've got a soft spot for that film, even though it's really really mad. But you, you think, you wonder, given what he did with Dune and what he created with that film, which deserves a podcast of its own separately, <laughs> quite <laughs> frankly, it's a, almost a shame he didn't do Jedi, because could you imagine what he'd have done with that? That would have been the trippiest Star Wars film ever. <laughs> I think as well, you know, it, it, this one, as you said, Laura, it has that sense of conclusion. It ties things off, you know, even to the point where, you know, you see Yoda and Obi-Wan again, you know, and you get the death scene for Yoda after being yeah. so brilliant in, in Empire. And, you know, you see Obi-Wan even. I, I don't. They must have paid Alec Guinness a lot of money to keep coming back because he hated Obi-Wan and he hated <laughs> being in Star Wars to the point where he would actually just. Tell fans to go and have a life and get a girlfriend, you sad bastards and things like that. And uh, he was—he hated it. So he, when he just turns up and like just delivers loads of
4: exposition, you just think the amount they must have given you a lot of money, mate. <laughs> well, he was the only one savvy enough to take a percentage, wasn't he, on the first film? Because he yeah. thought, oh, I can, I can see where this is going."
2: <laughs> yeah.
4: yeah. It, well, I bet
2: his family are still raking it in for that now, aren't they? Probably. Yeah, probably. Um I think, yeah, I think it balances the the two sides really well jedi and it, and it manages to be fun and and frothy and have lots of bits of comedy and and lightness but it also manages to have the that little strain of what was going on in empire still you know all the all the building up to the final battle of the dark side. And it just ends brilliantly because you've got the two things. You've got the two things going on. You've got the battle to stop the Death Star, and you've got you know the confrontation with all the Jedi stuff. And it it really flips between the two really well. And I, ju- I just I love the way it all comes together at the end.
3: I think I think that's the the key to it is that actually he Lucas did and the filmmakers did. They gave the audience what they what they wanted. Really. Yeah. So whilst the choices in it, and, and maybe this is, I haven't really looked into many other reviews of it, but I, I, I know that it isn't always seen as the, the favourite, partly because it's quite safe, I think, and, and arguably predictable in the sense that everything is tied up quite nicely with a bow on it. But that's what you want. I th- and sometimes, and I think that's okay, like, I, I, it ended exactly how I wanted it to end, with everything from Vader and Luke, with the Yoda scene, as you mentioned, to Han and Leia. I mean, yeah. even, if you think about it, they even wrapped up a, a love triangle, which was kind of, you know, had a, a tone of incest um, yeah. to it. Yeah. Um, and we all accepted it. Um,
2: that's a bit worried, yeah. Yeah, yeah. you know,
3: like, which is really a credit to the movie. As- yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah. So they managed to sort of go. Oh, don't worry that they actually kissed each other and yeah. Luke clearly fancies his sister. Don't worry about that; it's fine.
4: <laughs>
3: just exactly. forget it. Okay, that's yeah, no, fine. That's absolutely fine. Um,
4: <laughs> You're yeah. very right there. It's what I yeah. wanted,
3: to be honest, as a viewer. Definitely.
4: Yeah, the fact that all the emotion feels like earned, doesn't it? You get that catharsis at the end. Yeah. It's, oh, that feels very sincere. I don't feel like I've been cheated or manipulated up to this point. So uh, I am relaxed and just breathe yeah. out. The good guys have triumphed over the bad. It feels genuine. It feels right. Yeah. That's it. And, yeah, and the whole arc of the entire
2: idea comes to full circle and comes to fruition. And, yeah, it's the yeah. ending that it definitely should have been. As with the uh, the poll we did for the um, prequels, we did do a poll for the originals as well. What is the best Star Wars film of the original trilogy? And you'll actually be quite interested to know this result. Empire won, as you'd imagine, after out of 17 votes. That was got 76% of the vote. But Jedi came second, and it got 18% of the vote. And then only 6% of the vote for A New Hope. Now, I've got to be honest, I'm surprised, because you're usually it goes Empire, New Hope, Jedi. So maybe Jedi's getting more of a, you know, a fan, a following. Those you Ewoks, know,
3: the... I'm telling you.
2: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it must be. So yeah, that was Return of the Jedi, and uh, now we get on to the new stuff, yeah. to the one you've all been waiting for. Yeah, little gasp. <gasps> Yeah. And uh, <laughs> it's time to talk about Star Wars Episode 7, The Force Awakens, which is directed, co-produced, and co-written by J.J. J. Abrams. George Lucas is gone. Disney's been sold. No, not Disney. Lucasfilm's been <laughs> sold to Disney. So <laughs> yeah. that'd be a big sell-off. Yeah. Be a big...
4: <laughs>
2: and George Lucas is now just basically a consultant on this film. This is the work of Abrams, along with uh, Kathleen Kennedy, the producer, and all the stars involved, including Harrison Ford, Mark Hamill, Carrie Fisher, and newcomers Daisy Ridley, John Boyega, Oscar Isaac, Domal Gleeson, Andy Serkis, and Adam Driver, as well as some of the other classic actors as well. This takes place 30 years after Return of the Jedi, and follows young scavenger Rey, stormtrooper Finn, and resistance fighter Poe Dameron as they fight with the resistance, led by the veterans of the Rebel Alliance against the sinister Kylo Ren and the mysterious First Order who are descended from the Galactic Republic. Let's have a look at this new one. The, you know, the history of, of how the Force Awakens came to be is, is really interesting. and I encourage people to look up Empire magazine actually because they've got a really good potted history of, of how all this came to be in multiple parts on their website, and how it just. I do. You, do you guys remember in twenty twelve? I mean, I, I nearly fell over when I, when I heard this on the news <laughs> that there was going to be a new Star Wars film and it, wasn't, it was going to be a sequel to Jedi. I couldn't believe it. I was like... Because mm-hmm. it's something that I don't think anyone... There'd always been rumours, hadn't there, that George Lucas had ideas for the next three and that, then he would deny it and then he would sort of try and play it down and that, or then he'd say, I never did. But I don't think anyone ever thought this, was gonna, this film was ever going to exist, did they? I
4: remember the, the shock when when Disney bought lucas film i was thinking and and basically george lucas was effectively taken off his own his own project now i remember i remember the shock of that thinking oh right okay so i remember thinking at the time is that a good sign are they gonna is it gonna steer in a in a in a fresh new direction yeah i remember being intrigued if a little bit skeptical
2: yeah because nobody quite knew what it was going to be did they and everyone was there was so much up in the air, a million questions that have been raging for the last three years. But I think it was when I mean, I've I've always been a massive J.J. J. Abrams fan. I've loved his TV stuff like Alias and Lost. You know, I loved Star Trek. You know, yeah. I I decreasingly love Star Trek Into Darkness, but that's another story. Sure. But <laughs> you know, I love Mission Impossible Three. He's he's very rarely made anything for me that is below par.
4: Super 8 was brilliant. I love that. Yeah, yeah,
2: that yeah, that was another great film. He was the first one they went after. I mean he's known Kathleen Kennedy since he was fifteen years old. So he's he's always been involved in this this world. He was always on their radar. He seemed like the natural choice. And I've got to be honest, and this sounds really easy to say now, but I, I have never doubted this film was going to be great. As soon as soon as I found out that Abrams was doing it, I thought this is going to be brilliant and it was, wasn't it? I, th- I thought it was. I think this possibly is now could be the second best film after Empire for me.
3: I I really enjoyed it. I really did. So I saw it um, on opening night. I went to the one minute past midnight showing. Oh, cool. Yeah, I was just I couldn't risk the spoilers. <laughs> and yeah, I did. I did really. I really liked it. I think the thing about whether it was going to be great. How could it not be because so many mistakes have been made before? And I know that sounds a really sort of a negative view of it, but I did, I think I was kind of assured that it wasn't going to be an attack of the clones or a phantom menace. Mm. There was just too much riding on it for them to mess it up once more. And it it, it delivered. It was a a tribute, I think, to to the originals. Yeah. And it's, yeah, I really, really liked
6: it.
4: Yeah, I I completely agree. I, I completely agree with you, Laura. I think that, well, when you think that how long has it been since we actually got a wholeheartedly completely satisfying star wars movie it probably was return of the jedi wasn't it way back in 1983 yes (laughs) in terms of something that presented a complete package all the way through and i think that although i would say that as a film the force awakens does have not inconsiderable flaws in it i think that it, it leans very heavily on the storyline of a new hope. I think there are various yeah. characters that are undercooked and that don't get many things. There are various plot strands that don't really make a great deal of sense. Although one can assume <laughs> that they'll probably come in more into focus with this new trilogy. I think that what JJ Abrams gets right outweighs the maybe the more niggling negative aspects. And so I think what he gets right is that he injects a sense of fun, heart and soul back into the series which has been fatally lacking since since Return of the Jedi, and I think that 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 is a triumph, that is an achievement, and the fact that he makes us care about the people in this universe again—that I was yeah. actually emotionally engaged with what's going on. I I loved da- Daisy Ridley's character. I thought her mm. awakening to the Force was genuinely engrossing and exciting, and I was on the edge of my seat thinking, "Oh, is." is is she gonna is she gonna wield a lightsaber (laughs) yeah yeah and all that sort of stuff
2: (laughs) i I think you're so right It, it it made you care almost immediately about these these key main characters and that was such a difficult thing to do because let's face it the people came people were coming to this film to see luke skywalker han solo princess leia chewie r2 3po those are the people we know, those are the people we loved, and that those are the people everyone was really excited to see again. Everyone was seeing these new characters and going, oh, good, okay, cool, but everyone wants to see the originals. So to actually have a film where, well, A, those those original characters, many of them aren't even in it for very long or in it much at all, and for it to still work and still be really entertaining is so good because it's it, what it's done single-handedly is give you everything you ever wanted from a Star Wars sequel, but it's totally give you a completely new lease of life with some really, really interesting new characters. A fascinating new world in the sense that the geopolitic politics of it all, and as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, all that stuff is background, and it's never completely in the foreground dealt with. But you have, again, effectively a new empire with a new kind of style approach to it. You've got the, the Dark Lords and the evil, and you have the plucky heroes again. And yeah, you're right, it is a new hope in many respects. There's so many similarities to a new hope when you watch it. Okay. But it, it immediately grabs you with these characters and sends you on this journey. And right from the very beginning, you're just off. It's it, Boom, you're away. And it never stops for breath. I just sat there with a massive grin on my face, yeah. laughing and cheering. And I was just so happy all the way through. I can't remember a film that has made me feel such joy since I was a child. And at the moment where, the um, just at the point where Ray's um, speeder gets blown up and they're about to go and get into the Millennium Falcon, the scream went off. Yeah. And oh. <laughs> it went off for about 15 minutes. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, and we everyone was up in arms, right, because everyone was really engrossed, and everyone went, oh, my God, like this. Like, and uh, a guy came in, and he went, um, sorry, everybody, um, we're trying to fix it. And... Um, A guy turned, and everyone went, "Uh," and a guy next to me turned to us and went, why didn't one of us say, shout to him, use the force? (laughs) (laughs) I was like, oh, what a missed opportunity. (laughs) But the fact that we were all so engrossed, it was so difficult at that point for the screen to go dead because we were all just hooked. The whole screening was hooked. And that felt, it was brilliant at that, I
4: think. Yeah, it's, it's almost like... I think in many ways it could almost be accused of being a facsimile of A New Hope, but I thought what saved it was that when when it was embracing and also upending the or the iconography of the original series at the same time, I thought it did that yeah. really well. So for example, like you said, just before your screen cut off when they're running towards the camera and then she goes, Oh, she says, points to something off screen. Oh, that's junk. And then you realize that it's the Millennium Falcon. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Very clever, like little things like that. And the, the damned Imperial star destroyer. And oh yeah. the way that clearly JJ Abrams has a real, enthusiasm and affection for this franchise more enthusiasm than George Lucas seems to have for it when he was making the yeah, course. Definitely. Bizarre. He gets
2: what it is. He gets tonally what it should be. He understands the balance of character and adventure Yeah, and, and story and, you know, spectacle. And that's the brilliant thing. Abrams, is not a man without his faults. I am aware of that, but he understands spectacle and character and how to make the two work together and how to keep a story rollicking along at a pace you're just invested in and he did it with Star Trek the first Star Trek is very similar in terms of Mm. that constant sense of something going on while you've got the character interactions and establishing who these people are and that's why that was such a good film you know it's it's just really skilled at that.
3: It was really respectful in that sense as well It, it could very easily become quite gimmicky you know when you keep nodding back to things and making sort of these references to odd props and things from the last movies and and so on but it was and and even actually I thought something you mentioned Tony like with the the original characters coming into it I was thrilled with how much screen time Han Solo and Chewie got yeah Um, and (laughs) I but, but I thought it was totally in keeping with their characters and it was respectful of it as well like they were real plot drivers and they they were there with the adventure and I don't know about you guys but in our viewing, that moment when Han and Chewie enter and come on screen for the first time, people cheered. Like, we yeah, yeah. were so excited to see them. And then, yeah. and that it wasn't, again, it wasn't gimmicky and it wasn't even with Leia, actually. I think it was very much, they were still very key to it. And I loved
2: that. They only entered the plot when the plot made sense for them to be there.
3: Yeah, yeah, totally.
2: You know, it was, admittedly, it is a bit of a, and as I've I've read lots of things, as I know you have, Sean, and we mentioned this before we recorded, but I've read lots of things subsequently about the film and people have made a good point that really, there's no way they should have bumped into Han and Chewie, right? <laughs> Unle- unless <laughs> they were, unless they were actively tracking the Falcon, which they may well have been, but it's not established in the story. It's a big leap, but they come into it at a necessary point and they, they move along with the story and then, Obviously Leia's in only in like the last third and sporadically. And of course the whole surprise that Luke literally is in the last scene and doesn't even say anything <laughs> It's just like I don't think anyone expected that. But it makes sense because the story is about finding Luke Skywalker.
3: Yeah, exactly. He is really present throughout it. And then um, it's again I just I, I really I just I thought it was really just really respectful. That's the word. I, the only word I can really think of to describe it, and it it made it so enjoyable. I think for everybody to watch, it wasn't cringy, you know. And they didn't look foolish in these parts. And they, you know, they're they're significantly older now, but still. And Leah and Leah and Hand were were still compelling together. Their story was still after what thirty years was just still gripping. 40 years actually, like, just, yeah, it was just really, I thought it was really good, I really enjoyed
4: it.
2: I think it, it, it's having Lawrence Kasdan as well helps there to actually be involved in the scripting, because he was able to call back to a lot of what he did with Han and Leia at the beginning with Empire.
4: Yeah, the, well, the what I loved um, in its best moments, this film, I thought it, it took the groundwork from the earlier films and it, and it tweaked it emotionally and, and it took that sense of personal conflict that... Yeah. We had at, at the start of the of uh, at, the, at the heart of the Empire Strikes Back. So when you find out what relationship Kylo Ren, who I thought brilliantly played by Adam Driver, absolutely yeah, yeah you, definitely, you find out what what role he's playing in relation to i will try to say this tactfully in relation to certain other characters in in the film. I, I was stunned. I was like, oh, that feels really convincing. I buy that. I think that's a really nice extension of the Star Wars universe. And I was, I was sold, completely sold.
2: What I think I love, and this ties into really what who Kylo ends up being, but I think what I loved was how the film mythologizes the, the original characters and the original story. And I loved that about it. The whole idea that everything that happened in the original trilogy is considered to be a myth. Luke Skywalker is considered to be a myth. The Empire never really fell, you know, in a way. I mean, and that's the brilliant thing. The Battle of Endor wasn't the the last battle. You know, there was a lot more that happened in that time afterwards and ended up breeding what became the First Order. So it's like the story never ended, but the whole idea of there's lots of people out there who don't know that these people were real people. And I I think that was, and the bit where, you know, where Han turns and he goes, it's true, all of it, yeah, the Jedi, and all Mm -hmm. that stuff. It's great because it makes them, they're already iconic and mythological in terms of modern, you know, storytelling, but to do that within the context of that own universe was brilliant because you feel even more attached to the new characters for that reason.
4: Well, it's almost like a reflection of of audience trends, isn't it? Because obviously yeah. you you have a new audience now to whom Star Wars, the original Star Wars trilogy is very distant. They might have watched it, but, you know, in terms of years, it's quite far away, and I think that they do a very good job of acknowledging, like you say, that, that how many years have elapsed and why it's important to go... They're basically telling you it's to go back, right, go back and remind yourselves of what... The real power of the force was back in the original yeah. movies, but they don't do it in a like you said, Laura. They don't do it in a gimmicky, annoying way. They do it in a very generally very understated,
6: mm-hmm. very
4: well written, very emotionally engaging way. I think.
3: I think it's it's a real modern take on something so classic as well that they do really like they they just deliver on. So even if you think, I mean, Han and Han and Leia didn't actually live happily ever after. They've got this quite real, slightly dysfunctional relationship yeah. um, with a son who is, well, beyond troubled. <laughs> let's be fair. <laughs>
6: um, <laughs>
3: and you know, and Luke as well. He didn't. He was this great hero who then had this subsequent dark time and is now this recluse. And it's the um, and again, you you know, the the modern heroes of it as well. The what's it, Ray and um, the stormtrooper. I loved the fact. Yeah that he was a a fallen stormtrooper. Yeah. I thought that was a real, just a novel approach to it. And it really, all I could think of though, initially was that, you know, that um, clip from one of the movies where the stormtrooper like bangs his head on the, yeah you yeah head on the entrance or <laughs> and it's that's the moment the only moment you ever get of like a, a bit of reality to these stormtroopers like humanization
2: there was a great moment in this though wasn't there when kylo's trashing the the room and those yeah. two stu- stormtroopers yeah. walk <laughs> and then they turn away <laughs>
3: yeah, Exactly, and i really i think you know, that was like a it's it's just a more of a modern take and i really i really liked that i really like that sort of decision they made to do that
4: yeah, the, the fact that they imbue it with real feeling after yeah. three prequels that felt so digitized and so lifeless, um,
6: yeah.
4: and yeah, I thought I completely agree with you, Laura. I think the the whole act of having a stormtrooper taking off the helmet is that's that's actually that was one of the examples I was going to use about when they take the idea of the iconography of the series and then they just tweak it ever so slightly Mm -hmm. so you have a stormtrooper oh no you have an unmasked stormtrooper right what's that telling me about the storyline where's it going to go from here and i'm actually really excited about where it's going to go
2: and yeah and it's a really great story for for finn because he's basically just somebody you know there was a lot of questions as well that we were talking about after we'd seen it about exactly what how the stormtrooper's come to be you know this is idea that he's born Effectively into being a warrior, mm. and he it doesn't. But that doesn't necessarily mean that he's going to be. You know, there's a lot of Nazi parallels in this. The whole idea oh, that yeah. you know a lot of Nazi yeah. soldiers famously didn't necessarily, but they weren't all evil. There was a lot more shades of grey to everything, and that's one of the things that they've done with this quite surprisingly well. They've managed to keep that that sense that the originals had of it being a, a fairly a relatively simple story mm-hmm. about good and evil, but there's a lot more shades of grey in the in the middle of it now. In yeah. the whole political context of what the first order is and the resistance is is a bit different than just empire and good guys and also yeah. the fact that these stormtroopers are actual human beings and they're not necessarily they're not all just evil automatons so finn is a great example of someone who knows that this is wrong and he just acts on impulse because he can't do this anymore he can't kill for these people yeah and then of course you you know the character of kylo obviously ben solo the great thing about him is that, and this is something was also talked about. We also talked about he's like Darth Vader. If Darth Vader had never learned to control his powers and never got out of that teenaged angst phase, he's like an angry teenager. Yeah, and and the way he reacts, oh,
6: completely.
2: there's that whole thing where when he's angry, in the originals, Darth Vader would would either just kill someone with the force choke or he would storm off. He trashes the room up in a fit yeah. of rage, and that's that's very. Te- it's like he's still got all that raw anger. And that plays into the story brilliantly as well. It also allows for what will surely become one of the greatest gifts out there, with the force choke where he levitates the guy towards him, which was just <laughs> the most. Ba- I literally went, "Oh wow!"
4: <laughs> His character as well. I thought one of the most powerful scenes in the film is when he has he's captured ray and she turns the tables on him and then you think, oh wow the force is really powerful in it because she turns it on his head and then you realize that he's not quite as in control as he thinks he is yeah
6: Mm -hmm. and it's
4: like this is brewing for like an almighty brilliant conflict here and of course you get it at the end which i think that that final lightsaber duel might be my favorite in the whole series i thought brilliantly staged brilliantly lit fantastic performances loved it
6: i I totally
2: agree Definitely. And it was it was an interesting sleight of hand from the promotion stuff, because it, it, everything's been building up to us thinking that Finn is the one with the force, you know, in the in the trailers and things like that. But it, and nobody quite saw that coming with Ray. And I thought that was brilliant. Yeah. You know.
3: Yeah. She was very much the protagonist, wasn't she?
2: Yeah. But Finn. the, the fact is, that the great thing is that they all get like you feel like they've all got st- important stories going on. You know, as opposed to it just being one one person, you know, and that's something the prequels lacked. Nobody ever felt like there was having a story going on. It's
3: thinking about the the Adam Driver character, the Kylo Ren. He is how I this, going back to when we were talking about Phantom Menace. I think the way that they they sort of told the, his story or the beginnings of his story, it really does make you think. Yeah, actually, Phantom Menace could have just been skipped because again, it's that very similar. Anakin Skywalker, Kylo Ren, they're both these torn, they've gone dark, but they're not quite fully dark yet, and he there's so much of his story is told in just this one movie. And it was told brilliantly. And I just think, why did they have to take us all the way back with Darth Vader? Well, they could have done something like this, you know, where it's more powerful, in fact.
2: It's because you're dealing with a more skilled filmmaker who understands yeah. who understands narrative and understands, you know, Abrams is a classic fan of the mystery box. You know, he's, he's talked about this at length. He did a TED talk on this. Really interesting. He understands the idea of... of never quite giving you everything at once and that's why this film and it is a bit of a criticism to an extent because it does leave a lot unsaid and a lot yeah. on the table so and
6: it,
2: yeah it, it does and there are certain things you know there's been some interesting commentary about how like maz canata the um lupita nyong'o's character the the mainly cgi person in mm. the film there's a lot that's been left on the cutting room floor with her and there, there are a lot of there are scenes and, and lines from the trailer, in fact. That haven't made it with, with Maz Kanata. And yeah, there's there's quite a bit there that we don't... That, that has been left. There's a good 20 minutes of cut footage that may well show up on the, the Blu-ray. But that's been done for a specific reason in order for the... Because Abrams understands the power of, of not quite giving everything away. In fact, there was a, a parallel made of how... Obviously, in the original Star Wars, not everybody knew that Vader was Luke's father. And it wasn't necessarily that it was Lucas trying to conceal something. because I don't think he completely knew at that point. But... Mm. it's the whole idea that Abrams knows how to stagger these revelations and how to keep a mystery, a compelling mystery, in the characterisation as well as the story. And that's, I think, one of the reasons why the Ben Solo thing works really well because Lucas would have shown you those 30 years. Do you see what I mean? Lucas would have gone back and shown exactly... He'd have probably started this film with Luke training the Jedis. Yeah. You know, that's yeah. that's the difference. Whereas Abrams has gone, right, well, that's all the backstory in between we'll use that to leap off what happens next, the actual story.
4: Yeah. And that's why it works. We'll economise it. You know, we won't front load you with everything. We'll just give you enough just to tease you for the next one. Um, Yeah. And uh, in the meantime, what I'll do, I'll demonstrate my skill with actors, my facility with casting great actors who will convince you in the role. (laughs) Yeah. And I won't plaster CGI effects all over everything. I'll use them where necessary, but I'll create a sense that although this is fantastical, we well, all of us have used this word throughout this podcast. Although it's fantastical, it feels real. Um, yeah, yes, and yeah. I care about what's going on, and I just think that. Adam Driver was I thought, I thought pretty much all, all of the actors who had substantial roles were superb I thought Casey yeah. Ridley was fantastic John Boyega the Harry, this is the most engaged I've seen Harrison Ford for at least 15 years yeah. <laughs> That's true. it's true I can't true. remember the last time where it, actually, where it actually looked like he was actually having fun
2: on yeah. screen I, I think possibly that is because, I mean, let, let's face it the reason he did this is because Abrams more than likely said to him look, come back We'll pay you a lot of money and we will kill you off, right? <laughs> let, let, let's be honest, because he's he's expressed a lot of di- like like over everything because he's a miserable git. Really, he's expressed a lot of disdain for Han Solo and all this over the years. He's been like, oh, I'm glad to be done with it, you know, and all that. He's never really he's not one for fandom. He doesn't understand fandom. Harrison Ford. He has no comprehension of this. He's just like, oh, it's just a job. You know, he doesn't care. He's not bothered. I think they the reason he's enjoying himself is because he knows there's a conclusion to this character and this arc. And I think that's one of the reasons he's got a spring in his step, because he knows it's actually going to to make and he And also, he doesn't have to come back for any more.
4: <laughs> I think that's why. But it's also its also that take. You, you, you take a character that was an archetype before, don't you? And you emotionally build on it. And you take that yeah. character in genuinely surprising and unexpected directions. I mean, the way... Yeah. When you find out what the relationship is between Han Leia and, and Ben Solo, Kylo Ren, I was genuinely surprised. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, I me too. I think that's, that's a bold move and it, and it works. Um, I think no wonder that Harrison Ford looked... I mean, I imagine he read the script and probably thought, oh, okay, so this is a character that I've lived with for so long that is actually being taken in new directions. Yeah.
3: Completely. Like, I think and it was quite a brave move because they did present Han in particular and as flawed... In this way more so than ever before, Uh, not in a kind of a lovable, lovable um, rogue way, but actually as a bit of a dud dad, Mm. you know, as someone who's still sort of out there smuggling and getting up to no good. But this time it kind of had some dire consequences. And again, that's quite that's quite a bold move to make with your, your sort of your big stars, your big heroes of the piece.
2: Yeah, I think that they had to do that really with with people like Han Solo, you know, they had to deepen their storylines in order for the new characters to shine and and for it all to work. I think I think it's a real testament that they managed to do that and you know, that they managed to get away with keeping as I say, keeping Luke off screen and making him the MacGuffin almost of the film. I think as well, the, the, the one thing we haven't mentioned, or the one character we haven't mentioned who I think he's easily the breakout star, is BB eight.
3: Oh, yeah.
2: <laughs> he is just wonderful adorable. throughout this film. He is adorable. And he's so brilliantly characterised, I think. You yeah. know, in context of this, it's like he's always
4: been there. It's just the, the bit where Finn is trying to say, you know, I'm not really a member of the yeah. existence. I'm a former yeah, stormtrooper. And he gives him a thumbs up and the little thing comes such. <laughs> <comes laughs> <off. Yeah, laughs> yeah. that,
6: so,
4: that got such a laugh, that
2: yeah. did, not yeah. it? Yeah. And it's the bit where he's he doesn't know what to do and he just keeps turning his head like... Zip, 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 zip. <laughs> <Yeah>. Wonderful. <laughs> he's brilliant. And it, it's just, uh, uh, again... An example of how Abrams understands completely what this world is and how these characters work, you know. And the fact, yeah. again, you know, he keeps R two D two oddly in it, either, you know, and BB eight fills that void brilliantly. It's amazing. These are the kind of things that most people would have been so angry about that these characters don't feature massively. But you don't, you don't. It doesn't matter because it's all part of how why the story works. And it just, I think, it's just really skillful, really yeah. skillful, and and it it's. I think going to really cement itself as one of the great, one of the great films in the entire saga.
3: Agree. It was re- it was refreshing. They dared to gritty up their heroes as well, which is a, which I think is quite a dangerous thing to do. Sometimes you know, like we got the nice happy endings in Return of the Jedi, and then yeah, you flash forward and and things haven't been perfect. And I, I loved it for it. It was modern and it was relatable. uh, The other thing as well, it didn't, it sort of harked back to the originals in that it sort of just planted you in the action, you know, unlike the prequels, Phantom Menace Attack of the Clones, where it was just bogged down in detail and sort of too much uh, analysis and dialogue about boring stuff. This was just straight in there Mm. and, and everybody could keep up, you know, it didn't, it didn't sort of. Handhold your audience through it. It kind of just threw them into it, and I, and it was great. It was really, it was exciting to watch, and I I can't wait to see it again.
4: It's yes. interesting because that I thought, much as I love J J Abrams as a filmmaker, and I think he was perfect for this in terms of being that populist filmmaker who knows how to lay out a story and knows how to just get an audience on board, and he knows how to throw back to that. So easily identifiable, easily understandable method of storytelling in the original trilogy, which is, of course, what we needed for this. I thought mm. at the start, I was like, this is this is this is getting a bit too frenetic for its own good. I was like, I think that the pacing in A New Hope is actually really underrated the way that A New Hope sets out all its characters actually quite gradually. And then it it starts to hit you with the action, whereas with this, obviously, starts with a massive blast of you know, um, largely a massive blast of chasing and running. And I was like, okay, I feel this is running ahead of me a little bit. And then when Han Solo and Chewie came into it, I was like, all right, okay, that for me is when it started to click. Like I thought but I thought there were I had little quibbles like that. I thought there were other various I thought I I didn't get the menace from Andy Circus's character Snoke which I was a bit disappointed at. I thought mm, I'd sort of wanted him to be I wasn't expecting a giant sort of
6: motion. Yeah. Program.
4: I I thought that was a bit dare I say it, lame.
2: I think I think they're holding a lot back there for later.
4: I, I would hope so, yeah. I mean, with Donaldson's <laughs> character, General Hux as well, I mean, obviously he was doing his best Peter Cushing, Cushing impression. <laughs> yeah, you know, he was, yeah. Friend, and he was obviously loving it. But I thought, you know, I, I hope that they do more with this stuff, you know, especially with the workings of the First Order and the new one. But, I, would, yeah, for all its... I'd say not... I'd say for all its flaws, I think that, yeah, in terms of resurrecting just a sense of fun and soul and for actually suggesting there is a beating heart behind all this stuff yeah Um, especially in the form of Ray brilliantly played by Daisy Ridley and also Finn played by John Boyega brilliantly I thought yeah it's it's a it's a success and I really liked it I I think
2: that'll be that's the general consensus really which is lovely to see did anyone spot the um the, the cameo in this is this the Daniel Craig one? The Daniel Craig really, cameo. I,
3: yeah, I found this out yesterday. Is he apparently a stormtrooper? He's okay. the
2: stormtrooper who Ray uses the force on to get her out of the restraints.
4: Oh, no
2: way. Okay. Yeah. So was... when you watch it again, look out for that because apparently you can, tell, you can tell a bit of Daniel Craig's voice. And also today I found out a fascinating thing. Ray's dream, which is full of set-up for the later films, believe it or not, it actually has the voice of Yoda... In that dream, it has the voice of Alec Guinness saying "Ray" because they've taken the word afraid that he said and they've (laughs) digitally changed it to say "Ray." And also, Ewan McGregor came in to record a new line of dialogue as Obi-Wan. So look out for them because it's in there. And that suggests to me that there's every possibility that we might see Obi-Wan as a Force ghost and Yoda in future films, which I think would be absolutely amazing if they did Mm -hmm. that and you have him you have hit them and and luke talking to ray about the jed i just i think i would just die of excitement if that scene happened
4: <laughs> christensen doesn't do. <laughs> Oh yeah 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 <laughs> i nice.
2: think they'll conveniently ignore anakin <laughs>
4: yeah
2: <laughs> but yeah force awakens is a triumph and it's so nice to be able to say that after all this expectation and hype and build up so if you haven't seen it then why have you listened to this podcast you idiots yeah. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> spoiler alert. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, retroactive spoiler alert. But if you have seen it, I know you're going to go again because we all will go again. So, enjoy it a second time round as well. And um roll on Rogue One next year and then episode 8 because I think that'll be great. So, there we go. Okay, the final part of the podcast is uh where we're not we're not letting this maybe a special, but we're still doing question time and this is eight questions today on Star Wars, obviously. And this is basically fastest finger first, guys, as they say. So you're going to be pitted against each other. So are you ready for eight questions on Star Wars? Just about. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, not convinced, Laura. Okay, question one. What did Samuel L. Jackson have carved onto his lightsaber in The Phantom Menace?
4: Oh, goodness me. Um... It wasn't. It wasn't bad, motherfucker, was it? Like, like Pulp Fiction.
2: <laughs> yep, it was. One oh, to you, Sean. Yes. <laughs> was it that yeah, was, that it was. was a complete guess. <laughs> yeah, he, yeah. yeah, he did. Yeah, he had um, <laughs> bad motherfucker carved onto it. You can't see it. I don't think. But, um, <laughs> that's probably a good, good. thing. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Question two: Name the band who appeared in Attack of the Clones to appease George Lucas's daughter, only to have their scene cut. Oh. Now think. So think about 2000,
4: 2001, one, two thousand two. Yeah. Is it? You're on the right lines, yeah. Oh, it's yeah. me. it um, <laughs> tried desperately to cast my mind back. So we... like, is it like sync
3: or something?
4: Ding, ding. Well done, oh,
2: Laura. Hooray.
3: NSYNC.
4: Oh, <laughs> <Yeah>.
2: God. <laughs> how yeah, how yeah. can
3: you make Attack of the Clones worse?
2: <laughs> <sounds like> <laughs> we just NSYNC. did. Okay, question three. Which supposed ally of the good guys voted for the evil Order 66 that destroyed the Jedi in Revenge of the Sith? Ooh.
3: <laughs> not Grievous.
2: No. 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 You won't be
4: surprised. Well, I'm not surprised. Oh, um, no, I was going to say it's not Terrence Stamp's character. He wasn't in The Sith, was he? So, no. I'll give you this one, okay? Yeah. Jar Jar Binks, oh. the fucker.
2: Because he's, cause he's actually like a Gungan senator by this point, isn't he? He's yeah. like a representative. Git. Hate him. There's another <laughs> reason to hate the bastard. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um. Question four. What did Peter Cushing wear while filming A New Hope on his feet? Slippers?
3: Yeah. <laughs> oh, well
6: done.
2: Because the boots that they gave him to wear were too uncomfortable. So he said, can I wear my slippers? And he did.
6: So, <laughs> Rock and roll. Well, yeah. So <laughs> when,
2: when Grand Moff Tarkin is being all evil, just remember that he's wearing his nice
4: little slippers at the same time. How did they not look off camera and start laughing at that? <laughs> <laughs> well, you got to wonder. They may well have done. Menacing. <laughs> yeah. Okay, question five.
2: In the Empire Strikes Back, what random objects are visible in the asteroid field sequence? There are a few other objects that are apart from asteroids.
4: Oh, there's a potato, isn't there? Is it a potato? There is, yeah, Uh,
2: yeah. You've got the point, but can you name the other one as well? No, popcorn is a guess. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's a shoe. A shoe (laughs) shoe and a potato.
3: (laughs) Peter Cushing's boot. (laughs) Uh,
2: Question six. What was the original title of Return of the Jedi for which posters were made up for? Revenge of the Jedi was it? Well done, Sean. Yeah, it was originally Revenge of the Jedi, which is obviously how we got to Revenge of the Sith, which makes a lot more sense, really. Yeah. Okay. In The Force Awakens, Starkiller Base was named after the original name of which original character?
3: Skywalker. One of
2: the Skywalker's. Yep, yeah, you got it, Laura. Okay. Yeah, it's actually it
3: sounds like Skywalker.
6: <laughs> well, originally, yeah,
2: it was going to be Luke Starkiller and Thanks Anakin see. Starkiller. Originally, the character of Luke effectively was called Anakin Starkiller, and then because there were lots of iterations across the drafts, you know, um, yeah. of names and things like that. So, um, yeah, and the final question, which is possibly my favourite fact from the entire Star Wars. <laughs> Is what is the in universe name of the style of music played in the Cantina scene in A New Hope? It's me. <laughs> You're not gonna get this, but it's brilliant. Do you do you get do you know? Shall I tell you this one? Yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> the in universe name for the style of music in the Cantina band is Jizz. You're joking. <laughs> no, I'm not <laughs> joking.
6: <laughs> wow. Wow.
2: I think it's it's cause it's a variation, I think, on jazz. But clearly the word jizz doesn't mean the same thing it does in America, is it? <laughs> so they've
4: got a jizz band. <laughs> jizz band. <laughs> with jizz music. That, that's all sorts of wrong. <laughs> Fantastic. So,
2: okay, well done. After eight questions, it's basically a tie. So well done. You both you both scored three um so yeah and two you didn't
4: know so uh, that's that's the first ever draw on pick a flick Aww, but okay. uh, so if this was star wars that would be a lightsaber stalemate <laughs> yeah. yeah, and i don't have a tiebreaker question because i didn't plan that far ahead
2: so um you'll both just go onto the leaderboard as three with three points so you're up to eight points now laura so you're not doing too bad on the uh, on the leaderboard so that brings us to the end of the podcast and this has been a, uh, a, a, a I suppose a um, a whistle stop tour through Star Wars. There is a hell of a lot more for to discover about Star Wars and how they were made and and facts about it. I urge you to go and if you haven't looked at a lot of this stuff or you've not watched the special features on the Blu-rays and things, go and look it up because it's fascinating and it's a real part of cinematic history. So um, thank you both for coming on and being part of this uh, this journey.
4: Thanks very much, Tony. I Really enjoyed it. Yeah, mm-hmm. It's
6: good. same here.
2: I'm glad. That's great. Laura, then, where can uh, we find you on, online? Are you anywhere? Uh, do you do anything?
3: No, I really don't. <laughs> <laughs> it's just Facebook, but again, I'm just me. So. She's just, <laughs> she likes just cat me. pictures. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: you can't beat the pictures of Tiberius, your cat, yeah, to be fair. You. Although that is an, a rival <laughs> franchise, so we can't talk about Tiberius. <laughs> uh,
4: <laughs> How about you, Sean? Where can we find you online? Can I just say Tiberius is a brilliant name for a cat? That like, <laughs> that's fantastic. <all> right. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> it is, isn't it? Yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah, don't worry. Yeah, I do a few things. So I write for um, bristol247.com, mfiles.co.uk uh, with soundtrack reviews, including John Williams, uh, the great John Williams, So who obviously we've talked about. We've also got our, uh, uh, I do a, a podcast called Cultural Mirrors. Mm. So if you, if you Google um, Cultural Mirrors on SoundCloud, you'll be able to find us. Um, so uh, me and my mate uh, Andy, we do it sort of in our own time. And we argue a lot about various things, including the Entourage movie. Oh. Um, it's various lack of merit. Yeah.
6: <laughs>
4: <laughs> um, yeah, various things. So yeah. So if, if anyone wants to check those out, and can see some of my um, writing or listen to some of my ramblings.
2: It's definitely worth looking up definitely cultural mirrors is a great little podcast Thank
4: Sean's it.
2: Sean's reviews are really good my girlfriend who's a, a, an old friend of yours Sean definitely prefers your
4: film writing to mine <laughs> I, I know that for a fact <laughs> that, <laughs> yeah. that's, only, that's only because when I live with Steph you know oh look, look at these reviews <laughs> 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 yeah. read them.
2: you've <laughs> indoctrinated her well <laughs> but no he, he's a very talented writer and, and a great podcast so please do look Sean up this has been the last one for uh 2015 uh, big thanks to everyone who's listened to the show uh, since we started in October. Uh, we've got a nice little fan base now, and we've put out uh, this is the 15th podcast. So um, we're, we're going to come back for more next year. And uh, you can, as ever, find us at uh, Pick a Flick Pod on Twitter and at Pick a Flick Pod at Gmail if you want to email us and tell us what you think. We're also on Pick a Flick on Facebook. And just, you know, come and chat. Let us know what you think about the podcast, anything we could do differently. I will be back on the podcast in around March, because I'm busy off doing my new X-Files podcast, the X-Cast, which you can also find at Media, which is the BeHoleMedia.com, Black Hole Media, which is the overall site that hosts these podcasts. And uh, so I'll be off doing that for a couple of months, but I will be back at the end of March. But you're in two capable hands with um, Emma Platt and Dan Taylor, who are the other hosts of uh, Pick A Flick, and uh, with lots of other guests and people coming back on who you've listened to before. So uh, the podcast will still be on. So yeah, I will... uh just say a big Happy New Year to everybody and um, hope you had a great Christmas. Thanks again, Laura and uh, Sean. Thanks, Tony.
3: Thank you. May the force be with you.
2: Oh, you well done. You had to get that in there. Yeah. <laughs> I've <I'm>
3: been
6: waiting.
2: <laughs> excellent, excellent. Have a Happy New Year. This has been Pick A Flick, where you pick them and we watch them. See you in 2016.